And there's more news and sport online at bbc.co.uk slash three counties. What's the surprise for? The, um, the, what was that last story oh, in English? I know. It said them into the last four. Who? Sorry? Are you pretend- were you just pretending? Chelsea. Were you pretending you weren't there? Chelsea, Rafa Benitez. They were behind, then they went ahead. Now they're through to the last four. It's all okay. So you can relax about the football. I'm relaxed. Have you okay. finished? BBC Three Counties Radio, mm. usually you, first, first for news. news. Yeah. Yes, thanks very much. Oh, Christmas! Where did that come from? Listen to that. That's very Christmas, isn't it? Uh, very, uh, Merry Christmas morning. This is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. It's good to have Catherine Boyle back. She'll settle in, don't worry. She's broke. She was off having new teeth installed. They'll be fixed and fitted uh, by the end of the show, I guarantee it. Lots coming up on the show this morning. That I know you'll want to have your sound. Sorry, this is the first time I've heard this music. It's literally blowing my mind. The last Thursday before... It was the last Thursday before Christmas. Lots coming up, including ageism in the NHS is stopping some older cancer patient, patients getting the best treatment. Have doctors or nurses spoken to your relatives in a condescending way? Would you grass up motorists if you saw them chuck cigarettes out of the window? We'll hear why a Berkhampstead litter picker is fed up with drivers doing it where he lives. And if a theatre said that you couldn't take your child, aged three or under, to a pantomime, would you be upset or understanding? It's a pantomime, okay? The Hawthorne Theatre in Welland Garden City has banned kids three and under. 08459... Four double five five double five. You can text eight one three double three. Start your text three CR, or you can go to the Facebook page and have a right old ding dong. Uh, Facebook.com forward slash BBC Three CR. BBC Three Counties Radio. There we go. Now, ageism in the NHS is stopping some older cancer patients getting the best treatment. That's according to a survey published today by Macmillan. The cancer support charity spoke to oncologists, nurses and GPs and found almost half of them have dealt with a cancer patient who's been refused treatment on the grounds that they were too old. Nearly two-thirds said they'd heard health professionals speak to older cancer patients in a condescending or dismissive way. Well, Dr Mike Ingram is a GP from the Red House Surgery in Radlett. Good morning, Doctor. Good morning to you. Is the NHS ageist? I think the NHS has, has always uh, tended to, to be viewed as ageist. I'm not sure that that's true at the moment. I mean, the survey you quote uh, obviously gives people the impression that, that that's what the impression is by the people they ask. I don't think that the NHS... Uh, I think the NHS is working to stop being ageist, but uh, there's no doubt that, that it has been in the past. Why don't some older people get the same cancer treatment? Is it simply because they're 80, it's not worth investing as much money as someone who's 40? Very complex. The the simple fact is that um, you have to tailor cancer treatment according to the actual cancer a person has, the risks of that cancer, the aggression of that cancer, and of course the age of the patient. It would be very cruel to bombard a a person who is, let's say, in their 80s with aggressive Mm. chemo and radiotherapy for cancer, which is very unlikely to kill them. So it's it's more the the, the physical aspects of what and, and cancer uh, treatment, as, as we all know, can be can be very taxing. It's more the physical aspect as opposed to a financial investment. I think that m- my experience is that 
uh, decisions tend to be made on the basis of the individual in front of them. Certainly the oncologists who look after my patients always seem to uh, invest a great deal of time in trying to work out what is in uh, what they, in their professional opinion, is the best and discuss that with the patients and their relatives and help the patient make a decision of which pathway to go down. And certainly I've had patients in, the, in their late 80s who've had every possible treatment for their cancer um, and uh, I, I, that, I think, endorses the fact that we've moved away from this image of us uh, of the medical profession tending to be uh, using age as the criteria. It's part of the assessment of someone, as much a part of the nature of their cancer, the aggression of their cancer, and the harmfulness or harmlessness of their cancer. Why do you think Macmillan is saying the attitude towards elderly people is dismissive? I think it's because we've got to be on our, uh, always on our guard as professionals to make sure we treat everyone with the same... Uh, uh, dignity, respect, and uh, enhance our ability to communicate with people. It, you, 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 know, you have to talk to people differently in different stages of their lives, different people, different understandings. And I think uh, uh, the other item you said stresses a lot about the, the way we've got to keep watching the way we communicate with people. You mentioned respect, though, and it's interesting. It, it, it can be difficult, can't it, for patients, possibly older patients, to speak up if they feel they're not perhaps being treated with respect. What advice would you give to them or, or, or their relatives if they feel that perhaps that they're not being given the respect they deserve? I think... Um, the simple fact is to highlight their discomfort at it, saying, look, you know, I feel you're talking down to me or you're, you're not explaining things clearly or, you know, why are you looking at my daughter when I'm the patient? Th- things, you know, mm. simple things like that, reflecting it back because, you know, the, however hard you try, the, there will be times, <coughs> I'm sure all of us in our lives have had times when we perhaps communicate in a way that, that isn't the way we'd like to. Doctor, going off on a slight tangent, it would be amiss of me not to address a doctor about this. This winter vomiting bug, a million people are going to get it. Have you seen loads of cases of it? Uh, Well, what we've got here is not so much the vomiting bug. Thankfully, I think people are staying home with that. But there's an enormous amount of people who've just got a a particularly aggressive, nasty virus that is giving high fever in in, in children. I think GP surgeries have been absolutely swamped this week, fortunately not by vomiters, uh, (laughs) but but with people with this aggressively nasty viral sore throat for which we can do nothing. But I'll I'll tell you, I've never seen so many people in a week as I have this week. Really? Yeah, it is. Well, I'm not sure it applies to the whole of your listener area, but certainly if you want to see uh, packed waiting rooms, come down to uh, South Hertfordshire. <laughs> it, it sounds like an attractive proposal. I'll, I'll, I'll say no, Doctor. Very quickly, what's the best advice if you've got something like that? Just stay at home, drink lots of the, the, the hot the lemon and honey. Absolutely. Hot lemon, honey. These are viruses that antibiotics do not work. If you're really... I mean, uh, the, the fact is, you, you know, uh, the, a viral thing will pass in a few days. If things is getting progressively worse and worse, and of course, if you're getting worsening breathlessness and symptoms like that, that requires attention. But just aggressive sore throats uh, and sort of uh, symptoms like that, almost always viruses. Dr Mike Ingram from uh, the Red House Surgeon Radlett, thank you very much indeed. Well, there's a tempting offer, isn't it? If you want to see a packed waiting room, (laughs) go down to the Red House Surgery. I shall pass on that invitation, but thank you very much indeed. Now, it's that time of year when you might indulge in the festive tradition of a trip to the panto. The last panto I went to see was, uh, it was Steve Gutenberg from the Police Academy. Yeah, I know. Mahoney, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm friends with Steve Gutenberg. I've got his phone number on my phone. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the, I, did, I, I am actually friends with Steve Gutenberg. I don't, uh, yeah, and um, I interviewed him, and he was uh, he was at a loose end, 
and he said, hey, if, uh, if you want to go out for dinner or something, then, you know, give us a call. I was like, yeah, wicked, whatever. I just watched all seven Police Academy films back to back. I gave him my number, thought nothing of it. The next day, he phones up. And he says, uh, do you want to go out for dinner tonight? I was like, yeah, this is brilliant. This is the coolest thing that's ever happened. So I arranged uh, to meet him in a Japanese restaurant in London. Steve Gutenberg, right? And uh, I took my wife and I said, we're going to meet Steve Gutenberg, Mahoney, from the Police Academy film. She's like, who? The P- Police Academy, Cocoon. No idea. So we're, my, my wife and I sat in this, uh, this restaurant, this tiny little restaurant, waiting. And she's really unimpressed and I'm quite nervous. Then Steve Gutenberg walks in and she went, Ian... Don't look now, but the bloke from Three Men and a Baby has just walked in. Well, yeah, that's who we're meeting! Well, she got very excited. Anyway, uh, pantomime. And I'm going to go and see the St Albans panto, uh, Mr Maker. Going to go and see Mr Maker. Very excited. But is panto really suitable for all the family? You would think so, wouldn't you? But the reason I'm asking is... The Hawthorne Theatre in Welland Garden City says under threes, so up to 36 months, are not welcome at its performances of this year's offering, Jack and the Beanstalk. We're taking my boys to Panto. One is um, just under one, and one is just under three. It won't be three until middle of January. So he wouldn't be allowed to go and see Jack and the Beanstalk in Welland Garden City. What do you think? Should... Is this sensible? Is this sensible that kids under three, up to the age of three, are not allowed because they're too noisy? Or are you thinking, hang on a second... It's pantomime. It's meant to be noisy. It's meant to be kids shouting and screaming. See, I don't mind a bit Michael Jackson. I, I, and I didn't used to like him. And then I got excited when he was doing those concerts and we bought tickets. And then, you know, well, his doctor injected him with a lethal drug and he died. But he is a bit silly, all that. Oh, that's a bit silly, isn't it? Listen, he's doing it now. Calm down. Could still be with us if he just calmed down. It's a lesson for all pop stars. Just whoa. Goes on a little bit too long, perhaps. There we go. Thank you. Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Uh, go to the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. What we're talking about is posted up there. And it's kind of good because you can go on there and put your comments and someone will come on and agree, which is great, and then someone will disagree and then you can have a little bit of an argument. It's good fun. Facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. Play nice, no swears, nothing particularly offensive, but you can have an argument. Go oh, go for it. An independent report into the alleged abuse of 15 vulnerable men at the Luton and Dunstable Hospital has highlighted similarities to the Jimmy Savile investigation. Hospital worker Amit Mohabir from Butley Road in Luton was accused of carrying out the crimes on the stroke ward between 2008 and 2011, but took his own life before his trial. He was said by staff to be competent and well-liked, according to the report, and enjoy a positive reputation like Jimmy Savile. Independent chair of the Joint Safeguarding Group, Professor Michael Preston Shute, says this good impression may have made it difficult for the hospital to ask the right questions. We know from other serious case reviews in, in relation to children and families and in relation to vulnerable adults that if, in, if individuals or organisations lose a sense of curiosity, then they are running dangerous risks. But as we also know, 
it's human nature that when you when you think you are working with somebody that you can trust who is well liked who is apparently doing good work it is very difficult then to ask the curious questions but we have to be eternally vigilant i think that's one of the clear messages in this case and in the savile case and in um, sadly some other serious case reviews we have to be eternally vigilant and we have to ask the awkward and challenging questions detective superintendent nigel stone from bedfordshire police says he regrets that they didn't have a trained team of detectives dealing with vulnerable adult abuse cases at the time of the initial investigation in 2009 in hindsight and with the benefit of hindsight would we have done anything differently. What I can say, and that was in train at the time, uh, was that uh, Bedfordshire Police had a team uh, of officers working in this particular field who were uniform officers but working in plain clothes. Uh, I would certainly acknowledge, uh, and Bedfordshire Police uh, have changed that to a position where um, vulnerable adult abuse uh, is dealt with by trained detectives uh, and there is a team of detectives there now that wasn't at the time but the inquiry was carried out the inquiry was closed uh, and the report is not that critical of that initial investigation. The author of the report Derek Law says there was a lack of joined up thinking between all the agencies involved including Ludenborough Council, Central Bedfordshire Council, Bedfordshire Police and the hospital. That was clearly one of the features of the uh, 2011 cases, you know, that the, the alert systems were not joined up, um, that um, there were staff in the hospital that, you know, were, were not sure of the, the systems and the arrangements. Uh, equally, the two borough councils, you know, they had some work to do on making sure that, you know, the, these matters were dealt with in a more timely manner simply because the alert systems and the processes were not as joined up as they should be. And that's certainly something that needs to come out of this report. And this is one of the um, areas that the two safeguarding boards have said they will take on board and and rectify. Amit Mohabe's brother, Ash, spoke exclusively to BBC Three Counties Radio a few days after his body was found, pleading his brother's innocence. You know, he's been painted him as a criminal when, you know, hasn't even been to court. And they were acted as judge and jury, which I don't think it's fair. If he was guilty, I was the one who would have condemned him, first of all, you know. But I know, like I said, I know he hasn't done it. He kept saying he hasn't done it. And now, you know, he, he paid that for his life. Later on in the programme, we'll hear the full exclusive account of Amit Mahabir's brother, Ash, who maintains his brother's innocent and feels he was failed by the system. Call 08459 I have, yes. I've been in many, many pantomimes over ten years, yeah. And what, what do you feel about young kids up to the age of three not being allowed to, to, to go and see them? Oh, I was so sad to hear this. I think panto is one of the most important ways to get children introduced to the theatre because they can't go and see, you know, Hamlet straight away. And, and it's a chance to let them realise that entertainment can be without a screen. And the good thing about panto is that they can run right and be noisy and scream if they want to or cry if they want to. And I think it's at the parents' discretion to think... Yes, my child can handle this, or they might enjoy this. I'll take them, or I'll take them out if necessary. 
have you think- have you had young kids come and see your shows I have. My nephew came at three weeks old. Wowzers! Um, yes, I'm not sure he took an awful lot in, but he did. He showed willing. And then, then he came again last year when he was one year old, and he absolutely loved it. He didn't cause a fuss. He took everything in, found it a bit weird that his auntie was singing at him, but I do that at home, I guess. Um, so I just think it doesn't really matter how old they are, and he absolutely loved it and goes to theatre quite a lot now, despite him only being two years old. But that's all under three, and they take it in. It's it's designed for children. I think there has to be a sense of responsibility. I think if, if you took a baby and the baby started screaming, doing the proper baby scream, screaming, yes. then it might be appropriate to go and stand out in the, 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 the lobby for a little bit and just let the baby calm down, because that might oh, not absolutely. be great. But look, J- Joni Scott has just posted on Facebook. I, I, f- I find this incredible. Panto isn't really for toddlers. It can be quite scary. If there's enough demand, perhaps they should put on a special performance that's toddler-friendly. That's not right, is it, Daniela? I don't think so. I mean, Panto, of course, is scary, but then that's what the parents are there for, to explain it or to take them out. Um, but also, you know, children quite like the scary bits. Yeah. Some of them, they like to scream their faces off and tell you to get out and boo at you. And I just think it's at the parents' discretion to see what their children can handle. And theatres, I don't think, are in a position to turn anyone away because a lot of theatres make their yearly money from Panto. So if you upset a few families, then you're missing out on, you know... £60, £100 worth of tickets from a family of four. I love Panto, and I love the fact that you get two, three, four-year-olds shouting and screaming and laughing and shouting out at inappropriate moments. It's brilliant. That's what Pantomime's all about. It's the best thing, and I tell you, from an actor's point of view, it's what keeps you going, because when you're doing three shows a day and you're exhausted, oh, and you yeah. know, when you're your own family, if you see the, the kids having a brilliant time and lighting up, you think, well, that's what it's for. Daniela, thank you very much for coming on. There we go, she's been in pantomime. She welcomes them screaming and shouting. That's what it's about. Joni Scott on Facebook. If you want to uh, disagree or agree with Joni, please do. Facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. Or, now that Daniela's gone, we've got a line free. That's your latest news and sport. More from me at seven o'clock. You have young ones, don't you? I do. How old? One and four. Right, your one-year-old, your four-year-old can go to the Welling Garden City panto. Your one-year-old can't. Well, I wouldn't take her. Sorry? I wouldn't take her. She wouldn't get it. She wouldn't sit still. She'd rather run about. So who's going to... Hang on a minute. All right, then. All right. So you take the four-year-old. Who's going to look after the one-year-old, then? Oh, people. There's yeah, always someone. Just people. <laughs> Call 08459 455 555. Wow. 08459 555 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. The more I think about this, the anger I am. Well, right, of well in Garden City, saying that up to the age of 36 months and under, you can't, oh, no, you can't go to the pantomime. No, no, no. So my, my boy can't. I can't take my eldest boy, who would, who would love it. He'd love a bit of Jack and the Beanstalk. He can't go and see it now. Well, we'll go to St Albans and see Mr Maker instead, then. Your loss. Your loss, indeed. 08459 455 555. Coming up in the next half an hour, a litter picker from Berkhampstead is urging you to report motorists driving company cars when they flick cigarette butts out of their windows. Well, Justin Dealey's been to meet him to find out why he's so furious about this. And the government has announced it will cut the spending power of councils in England by an average of 1.7%. Political reporter Paul Scoynes... Oh, that's what he does. Political reporter Paul Scoynes will give us the lowdown on what it means uh, for you. Uh, On Facebook, facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR, Barbara says, I thought Panto was for children. I would have thought age 2 to 82 was about right. And Lynn in Hazelmere says, I think pantos used to be deliciously scary, but now there are far too many TV people. They spoil them. It should be family entertainment for all. Well, the, but there are always TV people in pantomime, weren't there? I remember going to see um, Babes in the Wood um, in Slough with Joe Brown. 
Joe Brown, yes, I know. Yeah, I know. Remember him? Some of you do, some of you don't. Uh, but they've always got... You want to go and see an EastEnder, don't you? You want to see a Mitchell in, uh, in a pantomime? Gets people in. It's exciting. 08459 455 555. By the way, the, 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 the meanies, the grouches, the scrooges at Welland Garden City, you're more than welcome to come on the show and, and defend this ridiculous policy. 08459 455 555. Two-year-olds are completely able to sit in a theatre and enjoy a show. Shame on you if you think they're not. I've seen it. I've been there. Now, the government has announced it will cut the spending power of councils in England by an average of 1.7%. Hertfordshire County Council says it could be as high as £20 million a year. Announcing the decision in the House of Commons, the Communities and Local Government Secretary, Eric Pickles, said it was a fair settlement for councils. It marks a new settlement for local government based on self-determination and financial independence. A move from the begging bowl to pride in locality. It begins the greatest shake-up of local finance in a generation. Well, our political reporter Paul Scoynes has been number-crunching. In fact, you were just telling me that most of the local councils... You've been telling the local councils how much they're going to be losing. How how is that possible? Because the uh, Department for Local Government, or Communities and Local Government, sent us the press release before they told any of the councils. Really? So we were able to forward that onto their finance officers, and they were going through their figures. So it's still very early days. Lots of the councils still haven't actually worked out what this is going to impact on them yet. What's the picture on our patch? Well, we think... And again, bearing in mind what I've just said, we think that these are the right You figures. told me off air, this is a good guesstimate. It's a pretty good guesstimate. Okay. I, on the basis that I asked the DCLG if what I was doing was right, and they couldn't tell me I was wrong. So on that basis, I've gone away and done this. Okay. Now, Hertfordshire did give us a figure, and so all of the figures that I've calculated tally with what they've given us, and okay. that was around 20 million quid. So that's going to be wow. 20 million pounds that they're, they're getting in less spending power, if you like, the, yep. the amount of money that they'll get from government. So that's 20 million pounds less that they're going have to try and work their budgets around now on that basis the, the figures i found for the, some of the big other councils milton Keynes losing around two million pounds worth of spending power mm-hmm. bucks around seven million bedford around three million central beds a bit more about 3.3 million and then it's not bad for all councils so some of the urban areas look like they're increasing a little bit luton has had a very minor increase in spending power for around 0.6 percent of its budget from government which is around a million pounds Aylesbury Vale District Count had a 3% increase in its spending power, which equates to around 660,000. You're throwing this fa- phrase spending power around. What does mm. that mean exactly? Well, I'm using what the government's termed there. So <clears throat> it's not, I mean, it, it's difficult because what you would normally say is a big grant. Uh, and that's what they get. But they're, they're including a lot of other figures in this spending power uh, term, which includes council tax business rates, which they've changed the way they do their business rates. So councils used to be able to get a bit more, and now they've capped it at a maximum of 50%. So it used to be if you were in a deprived area, perhaps, you could you could claim that a bit more of your business rates mm. back, but they've capped it now at 50%. There's extra money as well for, for social care, for, for the NHS, and a bit more to freeze council tax, which they're asking councils to do again. However, there's lots of councils now patch who aren't going to do that because they say it ties them in to spending for a certain way so milton Keynes council is going to put its council tax up by 1.95 percent which is just 0.5 percent under the amount that they would have to then call a referendum wow okay. if they if they took it any higher so that's that's Clever. that's yeah they're, they're having to 
sort of make adjustments plus council tax benefits and the money that they give to their council taxpayers to try and ease the pressure a little bit the poorest in society mm. are also being cut by 10% next year. So well. savings have to be made. Mm. How are they going to do it? Well, alongside this, Ian, they've, uh, the, the Communities and Local Government Secretary, Eric Pickles, has released this document. You're waving a pamphlet at me. 50 Ways to Save. Examples of Sensible Saving in Local Government. Doesn't sound quite as exciting as Fifty Shades of Grey, but okay, Doesn't, it's, but it has I potential. Think see what they've been what, are the, what are the tips on saving, then, for well, councils? Well, he said uh, councils, I mean, sensible stuff, like merging back, back offices, they could save over £2 billion a year if they collect Un, unpaid council tax that would, cost, that would save another 2.4 billion he also said things like hot desking so sharing your oh, computers yeah. uh, opening up a pop-up shop in a reception so you could charge the shop a little bit of money so if you had a count also if you had a council canteen yeah get rid of that and bring in a private contractor. Oh, it to sounds do like that. You're, well, you're going to make pennies off that. Stop spending money translating council documents into foreign languages, and stop serving mineral water at meetings. Well, that's not a bad idea. Yeah. Council pop—that's what you need. Mm. Uh, well, Sharon Taylor is the leader of Stevenage Borough Council. She's Labour. Good morning, Sharon. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, Ian, what's the picture like in Stevenage? Well, we look, we've uh, obviously the, the picture is much more complicated this year than other years, but we've done some number crunching um, late into the evening last night, and we look as though we're losing about four point eight three percent of. 5% um, if you round it up in Stevenage. Um, I chair the finance panel for the Local Government Association nationally, so I've been looking at the picture across the country, and as Paul rightly says, it does vary hugely from council to council. And we'd asked the, the Chancellor um, to consider the fact that councils had already taken um, what amounts to a 33% cut in our funding over the period of the um, comprehensive spending review. So, um, and we do, you know, what the government is committed to is not cutting frontline services. Well, if local government does nothing else, it certainly delivers frontline services across the board from safeguarding children, you know, support for our elderly residents, housing and homelessness, all frontline services. And we'd, we'd asked him to take that into consideration. The general feeling among uh, a lot of com commentators is it's bad, but it could have been a lot worse. Yeah, um, this year I think we, we agree it could have been worse, but we have a further cut next year, which looks like being around another 12% cuts in fourteen fifteen. And, you know, there is a big hole that we've uh, predicted from the Local Government Association. The big hole in local government funding amounts to about £16 billion by 2020. That will, you know, that means that all of the money that's used for... Um, things like libraries and leisure centres will be directed into the increasing spending in adult care services and, and you know, those very vital services for people because of the pressure of um, the demographics. Sharon, I think Paul's got a question, Paul. Yeah, are you putting, what are you doing with your council tax levels next year then, Sharon? Well, at the moment, um, what for Stevenage, yeah. we're, we're looking at a freeze in Stevenage at the moment. Are you um, taking we, the money? We realise the pressure uh, on, the, on people's budgets is, is very great, on their personal budgets is very great. We, so we don't want to put council tax up, but that does mean if the government withdraws this grant support that they're giving us to do the council tax freeze, that will leave yet another hole in our budgets, and we're very aware of that. So I understand why councils like Milton Keynes feel they can't Paul? do it. So are you taking that grant then? Because as, yes, as I said... You know the yeah. council tax. The council in Milton Keynes say that's going to constrain them for the next three or four years. Yeah, so are you, are you locking yourself in, though, if you do that? We, we would be locking ourselves in, and we, you know, obviously, we haven't made a decision yet. We don't do that until February, and councillors are currently debating.
debating whether that's a wise move to lock ourselves into that council tax freeze grant. Sharon, do you serve mineral water in your meetings? No, we don't. Good. No, no. Bit of council pop, that's all you need? <laughs> no, we don't have... Oh, these savings that Eric Pickles has come up with, you know, with the greatest respect to the Secretary of State, the, the, the shared services issue, well, in Stevenage we're already in a shared service agreement with East Hearts, we've worked very well with our partners in East Hearts on that. Councils around the country have saved 250 million already on shared services. We've got another 164 million coming forward in the next couple of years. You know, um, the, all of the savings that he set out in that document would make a difference of about 2% in, in councils funding overall across the country. Sharon, we have to end it there. Sharon Taylor, leader of Stevenage Borough Council. Thank you very much. Paul Scoins, political reporter. Thank you. Nice beard. Hey. Copy of me. Maybe. Bit weird. Hmm. But a rather grey, murky one. Temperatures down to around five or six. Are you okay, Elizabeth? You, 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 you need a drink right. or something? <clears throat> I've got a, I've got a crumb in my throat. A what? But it's a crumb. A oh, crumb. a crumb! I just ate a bit of a bit of leftover Christmas cake. Oh that, dear! That doesn't make sense, does it? Leftover Christmas. It's, I know cake. it's not even Christmas, Christmas cake. Cake left. Cake made from leftovers of the Christmas cake. Was there a little bit of booze in there as well, Elizabeth? No, no. Oh, OK. You, you, <laughs> no you, booze, no booze. You carry on. Um, anyway, as we get to Christmas. Go and have sorry. a cup of tea and I'll speak to you in an hour. Ta-ta. Bye. It's getting very heated in this debate about the theatre in Welland Garden City that's banned kids up to 36 months. If you're three years old and under, you can't go. Over three, three and a half, you can go. Three and under, you can't go. Heated debate on Twitter, including I'm now arguing with my wife, who says, well, most kids that age aren't ready. Well, hang on. That means we, can't, we couldn't take our boys, and we are taking our boys to see Mr Maker in St Albans. Go, to, uh, you can, you go, go and join the fight on Facebook, please. Facebook.com forward slash at BBC3CR. Uh, no, sorry, forward slash BBC3CR. Or on Twitter, at BBC3CR. It's a right old ding-dong. And something else, it's just, it's Christmas. Why are we doing all these things that are going to get people angry, for goodness sakes? This one's going to get people angry as well. A litter picker from Berkhampstead is urging people to grass up motorists driving company cars when they flick cigarette butts out of their windows. Since the 1st of July 2007, it's been illegal to smoke in the workplace, and that includes company cars, vans and lorries. Well, earlier on, Justin Dealey, our cigarette correspondent, spoke to Colin Garrett, who says that smokers cause them more mess than anybody else. The bulk of the stuff we pick up, or the, the number of individual bits we pick up, are indeed the smokers. They leave cellophane, foil, fag ends, and they eventually throw the packet. So those are the things we pick up. Now, of course, it's now illegal to smoke in a company car, a company van, a company lorry. You're encouraging people, if they do see this, to pick up the phone and effectively grass. You did that recently. What happened? Well, I had a nice message back from the company uh, saying that, yes, indeed, they discouraged their drivers from smoking on the workplace. They realised it was an offence to drop litter. And, yes, indeed, they would have words with the driver. And you saw this on the high street here in Berkhamsted? Yes, I was parked right behind him waiting for the traffic lights. I saw the driver throw a fag end out of the window. I just happened to notice the name on the back of the van and remembered it until I got home and then uh, got in contact with them. And when you saw that person flick that fag end out of the car, just how angry did that make you feel? Just despairing. God, there goes another one. Uh, there are just too many people who just don't care. Uh, I think with smokers, it's a built-in reaction. They drop it wherever they happen to be or flick it out of the window. Do they really do that at home, do you think? And you say, here we go again, despite the changes in the law, people are still doing this. 
Yeah, the trouble is um, they rarely do it where uh, somebody will pick them up on it. You know, you don't do it under the eyes of a policeman or PCSO. So you're trying to, to clean up Berkhamsted, but, but the message right the way across Beds, Hearts and Bucks is you're encouraging people, if they see this, just do what you did, pick up the phone and tell the company, grass them up. Yep, absolutely. Why not? Because some people may say, well, you know, you picking up the phone, making that call, you shouldn't be doing that, you should be minding your own business, but this is your town, so this is your business. Yeah, I've lived here 60 years and I don't like the way people are trashing it. Um, so that's why I decided to do something about it with the with the litter collection in the first place. And how many volunteers have you got here in Berkhamsted picking up litter who don't get paid a penny for doing so? At the moment we've got 97 and hopefully it will be over the 100 next year. You see, I find that incredible. What's the buzz for you? Because you're picking up somebody else's rubbish. What do you get from this, Colin? Well, first of all, we get a nice clean town. I mean, uh, most people are doing their own street. So that means they walk out of their front door, down the street into town or wherever they're going, and the street is tidy. It is not nice walking down to town and in other people's rubbish. Uh, the other thing is it's an, you get fresh air and exercise. It's a very sociable activity. I find myself talking to people on the streets that I would never normally have talked to. They stop and say, oh, you're doing a good job. Uh, some of them say, shouldn't Decorum Borough Council be doing this? And I say, yes, they should. And indeed, they used to before there were so many cars parked on the street that we, uh, the, the litter clearers can't get near it. Uh, but these days, if we waited for DBC to do it, we'd all be dead. <laughs> really simple as that simple as that um they are you're effectively doing their job for them though and you're doing it for nothing absolutely why should you well i agree uh there's no particular reason why we should but most of us quite enjoy having clean streets to walk down and my theory is that if there is no litter people might think twice might think twice about dropping more it's our fag correspondent De- i hate the word fag and fag butts i don't know why uh, justin Dealey speaking to colin garrett well later on in the program we'll be speaking to a gentleman who believes that smoking in the car is actually good for you and it promotes concentration and the NHS Luton Public Health Programme Manager, who, yeah, completely disagrees. Well, I, I guess the question here is, should people be allowed to smoke in their work car if no-one else is in it? Or has the gov- government gone out of control banning this? What do you think? If you drive a van or a work car, do you smoke in it, even though you're not allowed to? It's now considered to be the workplace. 08459 455 555. And do you agree with this bloke, Colin? He says, throwing cigarette butts out of the window is disgusting. What do you think? Well, come on, there there are more important things to be worried about than a few fag ends on the road. BBC Three Counties Radio, first for news. Thanks for backing me up with the old uh, pantomime bit there. Well, you're wrong. Thanks very much. Morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. It's the last Thursday before Christmas. It's Christmas next week! Come on. Oh, come on, you cynics. Oh, come all ye cynics, joyful and triumphant. You must be excited by now. I can't wait. Christmas Day at my mother-in-law's. No, it's not as bad as it sounds. She's a fantastic cook. We are going to have the best Christmas dinner of all time. And there'll be nibbles and a cheese board. Yeah, I know. Dirty. Lots coming up in the next hour of the show, including... Ageism in the NHS is stopping some older cancer patients getting the best treatment. That's according to the cancer support charity Macmillan. We'll hear from them in the next few minutes. 
If a theatre said you couldn't take your child aged three or under to pantomime, would you be upset or would you be understanding? The Hawthorne Theatre in Welling Garden City has banned them from their performances. It's got me flipping angry. And a Burke Hampstead litter picker is absolutely fed up with company car drivers throwing cigarette butts out of the windows. He thinks we should report them. Would you? Lots of ways to get in touch. Facebook is a good place to have an argument with the other listeners. Facebook.com. <laughs> Facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. Uh, you can send us a text, 81333, starting your text 3CR, or you can give us a call, 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Ageism in the NHS is stopping some older cancer patients getting the best treatment. That's according to a survey published today by Macmillan. The cancer support charity spoke to oncologists, nurses and GPs and found almost half of them had dealt with a cancer patient who's been refused treatment on the grounds they were too old. Nearly two-thirds said they'd heard health professionals speak to older cancer patients in a condescending or dismissive way. Well, Jenny Ritchie-Campbell is from Macmillan Cancer Support. Good morning, Jenny. Good morning. Is the NHS ageist... Well, I think what the survey that we've completed shows is that there there are certainly examples of ageism happening. And by ageism, we mean people making assumptions about people on the basis of their age. And what we're calling for uh, as a result of what we've found in this, this study is that we move to assessments rather than assumptions being made about, about people. So you think that older people are treated differently b- b- because people are making assumptions? Yes, we've also, as well as the survey results that we've uh, highlighted today, we've been running pilots during the year with uh, the Department of Health and Age UK. And what we found from from those is that there is evidence that um, assessments are not being carried out on older people. And one of one of the calls that we are asking for is uh, that a, a proper assessment of somebody's uh, mental and physical well-being is is done. Uh, such assessments do exist, um, geriatricians use them, but they're not systematically used uh, in the cancer field. A lot of cancer treatments, of course, are, are quite aggressive, aren't they? And isn't it true that older patients wouldn't be able to withstand that aggressive treatment? No, we don't believe that is true, because just as a group of 20-year-olds or a group of 40-year-olds uh, aren't, aren't all the same and, and, and you can't make assumptions because of somebody's age as to what they may or may not be uh, able to deal with in terms of, of treatment. Uh, and that's why we, we need to look beyond the chronological age. Do you think part of it is down to, to trying to save money, Jenny, that, that perhaps someone might see that investing thousands of pounds worth of treatment in an 80-year-old is perhaps not so cost-effective as investing that into a 40-year-old? We don't have evidence that that's, uh, that's behind uh, any of this, but what we, what we do have evidence of is that proper assessments are not being carried out, and we think that, that uh, in, the lo- in the long run, uh, we know that the population... Uh, ca- cancer is primarily a disease of old age. There are uh, 1.3 million people over 65 with cancer today in the UK. That's going to be 4 million in 20 years' time. So this is not an issue that is uh, is going to go away. It's going to be- become even more important than proper assessments are carried out. And and if they're not, people are going to be um, receiving inappropriate treatment. And 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 in the in the long run, that's going to cost everybody uh, you know poorer experiences and more. So it comes. Jenny, thank you very much. Jenny Richie Campbell from Macmillan Cancer Support. 
This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Panto. Now, some people hate it, some people love it. And I went through a thing a few years ago, being quite snobbish about Panto, and thinking it was a load of old tosh. Ridiculous nonsense. But it, it is ridiculous nonsense, but it's a lot of fun, isn't it? It's great fun. You get to go, you get to make a lot of noise, you get to shout, you'll probably see someone off the telly. I saw the Fonz once. So Fonzie in pantomime. And Fonzie, I, I, I spoke to someone who was working on it, Fonzie was very reluctant to do anything that kind of alluded to the Fonz. He wanted it to be, you know, I think he was playing Captain Hook and he didn't want to mention the Fonz. And one day his co-star said, look, just go out, give the thumbs up and do an A. Right, and see what happens. So he went out and went, eee, the place went mental. Fonzie kept it in. But is Panto suitable for all the family? The Hawthorne Theatre in Welling Garden City says under threes are not welcome in its performances of this year's offering Jack and the Beanstalk. Well, what do you think? If you couldn't take your child to Panto, would you be upset? Or are you breathing a sigh of relief and going, oh, thank goodness for that? Well, we'll book tickets. We'll go and see Jack and the Beanstalk now. There won't be a lot of kids shouting and screaming. 08459 455555. Well, we sent BBC Three Counties reporter Serena Farrow out to Wellin, asking you if kids should be allowed at Pantos. Kids, even at that age, have a right to enjoy culture as well. We want our kids to grow up educated and cultured, and how are you meant to do that if... You know, they're sort of left out of those sort of phases. It's a family experience, isn't it? You lose the magic of Christmas if you can't take your own kids to a pantomime. What's that about? <laughs> yeah, my kids are pretty noisy. Are they? Yeah, they're so, horrendous. Oh, so would you kind of leave your kids at home and take them to a cinema or anything? Uh, no, probably not. No, they're a nightmare to take out. Especially for the best, really. They'd ruin it. We've both got kids and... And you've taken them to pantos before? Yep. Uh, yeah, I have, yeah. And they just go mad and you just leave them to it. They're screaming and shouting like they do, kids do. I think under two it could be babies, then fine, because if they're crying their eyes out, but then would you take a baby to a panto? I wouldn't have taken them to a panto because they wouldn't have understood it or been interested in it as a baby. Well, my mum used to take me when I was little, and I used to sit and watch a panto, a kid's one at Christmas. Only four, I'd, I would have taken her when she was three. Under three, yeah? Well, sometimes I think it's a good idea, because they can scream and scream. We were at one the other day and we couldn't hear half the show. So it is disrupting sometimes. Panto is for kids, isn't it? So get the kids involved and get them up on stage and everything. You're not meant to hear the show. Panto works on two levels, okay? There's the show for the kids, and then there's Bobby Davro doing his filthy jokes to the adults that are such a high frequency, kids can't hear them. That's how Panto works. Unless you go and see Cinderella with Jim Davidson. That that is strictly adults only. You wouldn't want to go and see that nonsense. 08459 455 555. David is near Leighton Buzzer. David, what do you think on this? Are you outraged, or do you think it's a good idea to keep kids away from Panto? Absolutely not. The whole point of Panto is to encourage kids to come in and watch it. I totally agree. seems crazy to actually ban somebody. As you said in the previous interview um, about the NHS, what this um, theatre are doing is actually making an assumption about the behaviour of a child based on their age. You're good. You're good. <laughs> ah, you see the links. When was the last time you went to a panto, David? Uh, about 18 months ago. Okay, and, and did, you, did you take kids with you? Did, you? did you have young people? My kids are now older, right. um, but certainly when my wife was in pantomime in Radlett, we took all three of my kids when they were, I think, six, five and three. 
And I bet they loved it, didn't they? They, they behaved impeccably. Did they, I say they loved it. Did they not think, what, what role was, was their mum playing? She was the fairy. Oh, okay, that's not so bad. But did they not think it was weird? Did they not like, go, what's, what's mum doing up there? Why has she got wings on? Well, no, they, they, they'd been through a lot. I mean, we had said, this is what's going to happen. Right. It will be noisy. Mummy will be shouted at by, you know, the bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry about it. It's all a game. You know, it's, it's pretend. The whole idea of live theatre is that it's there in front of you. Of course people will talk. Inevitably, people will make noise. In fact, it's actually a measure of the success of the pantomime. Mm. If people are reacting, you know, King Rat comes on, or um, you know, the bad guy comes on, you want people to scream and shout and boo and hiss. We've, there are some grumps, David, and I'm not going to name names, but Catherine Boyle, our newsreader, is one of them, and I've gone right <laughs> off her this morning, who says, no, oh, you, no should, you, you shouldn't take two-year-olds to to the pantomime because it, it, they'll get upset and it's disruptive. And I mean, good parenting would be, if you take a kid and they get really upset and they're screaming and crying, and you take them out into the hallway and you let them calm down and then you bring them back in. That's Absolutely. obvious. But, but it's, you're right. It's, kids don't... Uh, there is a snobbishness, a snobbery around theatre and performance, and this is a great way to kind of get rid of that and get young people to sit in a proper theatre and watch a show. Yes, indeed. How will they ever learn unless they try it once? David, your missus has been in pantomime. Are you? Are you? But you, you've got the voice of an actor. I'm guessing you probably are. I was an actor for 25 years. Were you in the bill? No, I wasn't. Oh, were you not? Not a proper actor, according to my <laughs> mum, Ben. If you've not been in the bill, David. No, but my wife was. She's obviously more a proper actor than I was. There you go. You see, fantastic. And did you ever do panto? I did. Uh, probably. Uh, dozen or so panto. How exciting. I've never done panto. It kind of tempts me, but um, A, I've never been asked, and B, doing <laughs> doing as many shows it would just exhaust me. How cool is it when you walk out and you get a load of kids screaming and shouting at you? It's brilliant. Yeah, of course it's it is. It's the most fantastic feeling in the world. I mean, as an actor, you don't tend to get treated like a rock star, but when you walk out and you are, you know, I don't know, obviously I've never been Cinderella, but I've played Dandini or, you know, the Prince Charming or whatever. Oh, you're but, a good-looking uh, actor. Well, <laughs> well, you were in your day. Perhaps many moons ago. <laughs> yeah. But when you walk out and the kids go mad for it, you know, it's a wonderful feeling. And, you know, you're making, you're, People are enjoying themselves. The whole idea of pantomime is to enjoy yourself. I saw Joe Brown in Slough in Babes in the Wood when I was about... It must have been 33 years ago, mm. and it's, I, it, I still remember it, and I still talk about it with my sister. Exactly. And isn't that a fantastic memory? Yeah. And shame on Hawthorne Theatre for banning children from having those memories. David, fantastic. Thank you very much indeed. That's a great line to end that call. Banning children from having memories. Thank you, David. Um, I bet he hates pantos. I bet he really hates pantos. And I bet he'd ban children up to the age of 16 from going anywhere. Socially, restaurants, pantomimes, theatre, cinema, school. He'll ban it all. And talk, just before we go on to the next thing, talking about kids making noise and stuff like that. I'm not one of those parents that lets their kids go off and make a noise anywhere. For example, in a restaurant... I wouldn't let my kid run... If my kid starts running around, they're out. They sit at the table, or they sit on my lap at the table, or their own chair, and they have their meal. You don't get up. You don't let your kids get up and run around in the restaurant. That's inappropriate. So I'm not one of those dads that says, Oh, yeah, come on, they're kids. Make as much noise as you want. You keep the noise down in a restaurant. You, you treat the place with respect. You eat your meal. OK? But kids up to the age of... Of course you can take them to pantomime, for goodness sakes. 08459... Four double five, five double five. Now, this is a story that we've been uh, looking at for a while. An independent report into the alleged abuse of 15 vulnerable men at the Luton and Dunstable Hospital has highlighted similarities to the Jimmy Savile investigation. 
hospital worker, Amit Mahabia, from uh, Butley Road in Luton, was accused of carrying out the crimes on the stroke ward between 2008 and 2011, but took his own life before his trial. He was said by staff to be competent and well-liked and, according to the report, uh, quote, enjoy a positive reputation, unquote, like Jimmy Savile. Well, our reporter, Sophie Solaria, met Amit's brother, Ash Mohabia, a few days after his body was found. He spoke exclusively then to BBC Three Counties to plead his brother's innocence. To my mum and all my brothers, sisters, nephews and niece, I can't put down in words how I feel, so I'm going to keep it short. I'm really sorry that I had to end my life. I'm not committing suicide because I'm guilty, but I can't take all this pressure. Hope you forgive me. My name is Ash Mohabia. Amit Mal was, he was my younger brother. I was very close to him. Did you speak to Amit in his last few weeks? Uh, actually, I met him uh, uh, on Friday. He took these pills on Saturday evening. And then there was a sadness in his face. I told him, oh, you're losing weight. How come you've lost so much weight? Ash, what was your brother accused of? He was working, uh, not as a nurse, but assistant, as a nursing assistant at uh, Luton and Dunstable Hospital. He was accused of sexual assault on 13 males. Police arrested him and then they asked for victims to come forward, which like 13 people did come forward. And I think that the police should have checked on them, you know, before they treated my brother like... Like a criminal, like a pervert, like it's been said in the papers. You know, you believe in the justice system and then the media portray the accused as a criminal, you know, which I don't think is fair. So when you saw these accusations of your brother being called a pervert in the press, how did that make you feel? I mean, dealing very badly, to tell you the truth. Very, very badly. I lost my faith in the justice system then. I'm trying to find a way, you know, to get justice still, uh, because I know my brother, I know he hasn't done that. How do you know that he's innocent? Uh, I've known him all my life, you know, and I know the sort of person that he is. I know he would never harm anyone. These allegations have been made. Do you think there's any chance you don't know your brother as well as you thought you knew him? Uh, I know him very, very well. Like I said, he would tell me everything, you know. If he has done it, he would have told me, but still, like I said, I know him. Uh, I grew up with him, you know, and uh, like I said, I mean, I know myself and I know him. We would never, ever harm anyone. You know, he's been painted him as a criminal when, you know, hasn't even been to court. And they were acted as judge and jury, which I don't think is fair. The families of the people involved may be listening to this. They've made attempts to tell the BBC how upset they are that there is not going to be a trial. If he was guilty, I was the one who would have condemned him, first of all, you know. But I know, like I said, I know he hasn't done it. He's kept saying he hasn't done it. And now, you know, he, he paid that for his life. Well, that was our reporter Sophie Solaria talking to Ash Mohabi, the brother of uh, Amit, uh, just shortly after he died. Uh, and later on in the programme, we'll have Professor Michael Preston shoot in the studio. He's the head of Adult Safeguarding Board, uh, the Adult Safeguarding Board in Luton, to give us an in-depth analysis of the story. Across beds, hearts, and bugs, this is BBC Three Counties Radio. Oh dear! Oh dear! Oh dear! Listen, it's Christmas next week. I'm dead excited. You get the best meal of the year. You get presents. You get to sit around eating chocolates for breakfast. You get to see your kids eat uh, opening presents. 
you get to take the kids to the pantomime. Not if you're going to go and see the panto in Welling Garden City. They've banned kids up to 36 months, so it's three and under. They're not allowed to go and see Jack and the Beanstalk. 08459 455 555. What do you think about that? Helen from Radlett. Good morning, Helen. Good morning. Do you, what do you think about this? Do you agree with, with the theatre or do you agree with me? This is a, a nonsense. I actually don't think they should be allowed. <laughs> Excuse me? What? Well, I have a two and a half year old who um, would just cause absolute mayhem in a pantomime theatre. And if I was taking my nephew, who's nine, yeah. I wouldn't want him to lose out because of. My son's a very well behaved child. However, he's just got a lot of energy. Yeah. My sister-in-law took her two and a half year old, and he was fine. Right. Not to Welling Garden City. Um, and he was fine. So, although I do think there's an element of discretion from the parents, I also think a lot of parents are a bit too precious about their children. So how would your son react? You say he'd go bonkers. What would he do? Oh, he just... He, he's his concentration span. Um, he won't watch a film. He won't watch that much TV. He just wants to run around. Right. Um, so it's more that he would take one look at it and go, well, that's nice for five minutes. And then but then, to... but then if your son's like that, and then you said, was it your nephew who would, who would uh, uh, sat through it and enjoy, enjoyed it, then your nephew would be losing out because of, uh, agree with because of your little boy. So that doesn't seem fair. You, surely it should be down to the parents' discretion. And parents, they're, they're not always the best judges, you're right. But they should be sensible and should say, well, you know what, my boy isn't going to sit through it, he's two, it's, it's not appropriate to take him, but I, I know that my boy who's two would sit through it and, and would love it. I agree with you, but I do think there has to be a line drawn somewhere, mainly because we can't trust parents to um, really assess whether their child would behave or not, especially if you've got a four-year-old who would love it, and you're two and a half, or maybe they'll be okay. But a lot of people, are, I, I just don't think, are too aware of other people. But then, then where does it stop, Helen? Because there, are, I know oh, some right. four-year-olds who are right little so-and-sos, you know, who, who, <laughs> who, who couldn't sit. I know some six-year-olds that couldn't sit through an hour and a half pantomime. So should we just ban all kids under eight, just to be safe? Uh, no, I, I think there is a, a, a point where uh, a greater number of under threes would misbehave than a greater number of over threes. Obviously, not only about the become better behaved, but more that there are fewer six-year-olds, four-year-olds, eight-year-olds who will misbehave in, in that kind of way to ruin it for others. When was the last time you went to a panto, Helen? Well, it was a while ago. <laughs> was there anyone famous in it? No. Well, actually, I'm not from Radlett. I'm from Rickmansworth. Okay. And we get quite a few famous people in our local panto. Like, do you get, like, EastEnders and stuff? Oh, of course. Uh, no, see, people say, but the, the big stars. People say it's 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 terrible that we have to depend on on TV star stuff. But I love it. I want to when I go to the Panto. I don't mind seeing the local breakfast DJ in it and and whatever. But I want to see someone who's been on telly. I want to get my money's worth. That was a little oh, hint, by the way. There, exactly the same. I think you know if they are on TV, you know, just add a, especially if they're in a serious role, it just adds a lot of comedy to it. Seeing the Fonzie up on stage in Wimbledon, it was about. Four, three or four years ago, four years ago, the Fonzie up on stage was the coolest thing ever, Helen. Yeah. Thank you very yeah, much. Oh, wait, four, five, nine, four, double, five, five, double, five. Now, she says there, her boy is two years old, wouldn't be able to sit still in the pantomime, very restless, bit energetic. Well, that's fair enough. Don't take him. Her two-year-old nephew has been to the pantomime and loved it. It seems a little bit unfair, doesn't it, that, that some kids will lose out on what is... A, a, an amazing experience. I'm taking my boy to see Mr. Maker in Stevenage. Gonna love it. And the very fact that Mr. Maker 
is in a pantomime. Mr. Maker is watched by kids... I would say my boy was watching him from 18 months onwards. So you want kids to go because you've got a kids' TV star. A lot of people arguing on Facebook. Facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. Uh, or, or you can tweet at BBC3CR. Natalie has tweeted, it's ridiculous. Aren't pantomimes meant to be for families? To be honest, under threes probably won't get it, but it's up to the parents to decide, surely. 08459 455 555. Should we have a quick look at the front pages of some of the newspapers? By the way, tomorrow's show, we'll be doing some serious... Well, there will be some serious stuff, but it's, it's the last show, the last day of term. The rule is, you're allowed to wear mufti... Uh, and you can bring in games. You can bring in games, team. So if you want to bring in a Spectrum, um, or if you want to bring in some board games or something, do that. I might bring in some Uno cards. I have a game of Uno. Sweet. We're in. We, we, I'm trying to persuade Catherine Boyle to come down and hang out with us. Although, since she disagrees about this whole pantomime thing, I've gone right off her. Right off her. The Daily Telegraph. BBC Chiefs survive Savile fiasco. Uh, an inquiry into plot to oust Mitchell. The Guardian. Uh, BBC incapable and chaotic in Savile Affair. Executive resigns and three others are moved after damning report on crisis. Um, Let's have a look. The Independent. Um, Oh, there's a thing about Instagram. Instagram is, they can sell your photos for adverts. Why would they want to sell a picture of my mum that's made to look like it's from the 1970s? Why would would they want to sell that? How much money are you going to make from that? Yeah, go for your life. Uh, the truth will come to light. Hope for Hillsborough families and less than half-back Osborne on benefits. George Osborne has failed to win the support of the majority of the public for his decision to squeeze most state benefits, according to a survey. Um, the Times. Hillsborough parents win battle for new inquiry and Tories challenge lie in police log on Mitchell. The Daily Express. Oh, look. Arthritis drug beats dementia. Wow, another made-up medical story from the Express. Drugs used to treat arthritis were hailed as a potential new method to fight Alzheimer's by experts last night. I warn you now, it's been tested on mice. It won't be available for ten years if it works. That's, I don't even need to read the story to tell you that. The Daily Mail. Uh, victorious. Two great results from your campaigning newspaper. Children will be protected from online porn, and Arctic convoy hero- heroes will get their medals. And uh, the son, uh, a young man, has had a tattoo. It's, uh, really, I don't need to know any more than that. Sophie Tyler, BBC Three Counties Radio. Sophie, can I apologise for the abuse that you're getting on Twitter this morning? Me? I haven't even noticed. Well, OK, I apologise for the abuse and I apologise for the fact that I retweeted it. Oh, no. Uh, Ewan Huzami says... Oh, I see, that's clever, well done. Don't you think Sophie Tyler sounds like she's permanently hungover? <gasps> no. Well, I, I have... It behooves me to ask the question: Are you hungover? No, I'm actually not. I'm just. I'm I'm actually not. The the, the implication is that you are most other mornings. (laughs) How many? How many mornings a week would you say you are a little bit hungover? Not many at all. (laughs) Sophie, thank you so much. Laura looks disgusted. My producer shaking her nose. Thank you very much, Sophie. I apologise for for that. Call 08459 455 555. 0845 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Lots on the show this morning, including in the next 30 minutes, a litter picker from Berkhamsted. Berkhamsted is urging you to report motorists driving company cars when they flick their cigarette butts out of their windows. If you saw a driver 
throwing rubbish out of the window, what would you do? I've got a friend whose wife goes up to people in their cars and says, excuse me, I think you dropped this, and chucks it back in. She did it to some big, big, massive, burly bloke. And my friend is going, oh, no, please. Please don't do it. She went, excuse me, I think you dropped this crisp packet? And because it's a woman, they tend to go, oh, right, yeah, sorry about that, love. If it was a bloke, you'd be told to get knotted. What do you do? Or what would you do if you saw a driver throwing rubbish out of the window? 08459 455 555. And if a theatre said you couldn't take your child, aged three or under, to pantomime, would you be upset or understanding? It's dividing opinion this morning. The Hawthorne Theatre in Welland Garden City has banned kids. Three and under. 08459 455 555. On FM, AM and online, BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, this is something. A litter picker from Berkhampstead is urging people to shop on the motorists driving company cars when they flick cigarette butts out of their windows. Since the 1st of July 2007, it's been illegal to smoke in the workplace. That includes cars, vans and lorries. Earlier on, Justin spoke to Colin Garrett, who says he's reporting drivers because he's fed up with it. I was parked right behind him waiting for the traffic lights. I saw the driver throw a fag end out of the window. I just happened to notice the name on the back of the van and remembered it until I got home and then uh, got in contact with them and when you saw that person flick that fag end out of the car just how angry did that make you feel just despairing god there goes another one uh there are just too many people who just don't care uh i think with smokers it's a built-in reaction they drop it wherever they happen to be or flick it out of the window do they really do that at home do you think so you're trying to to clean up berkhamstead but but the message right the way across beds hearts and bucks is you're encouraging people if they see this just do what you did pick up the phone and tell the company grass them up Yep, absolutely. Why well, not? Justin Dealey has been speaking to lorry drivers on the A5 this morning. Morning, Justin. Hello, Ian. I love that package you did there with the gentleman. And I love the way you asked the question as though you're on Newsnight. <laughs> so, when you saw someone chucking a fag butt out of your car, how did that make you feel? Have you not seen the new BBC guidelines? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I haven't. I no. probably should have a look. Where, whereabouts are you and what's going on now? Well, I've been talking to lorry drivers on the A5. Now, they say to, to me this morning that they see people flicking cigarette butts out of vehicles all the time. A few moments ago, I spoke to Kevin. Now, Kevin, first of all, you don't smoke. It's illegal to smoke in your lorry, but you see other lorry drivers who smoke in their vehicle all the time, don't you? I do. Unfortunately, I do, yeah. And uh, not only does it give uh, a, a bad image to truck drivers, uh, you said it's illegal as well. It's absolutely disgusting and it's stinking. And there's nothing worse than having to use a lorry that's uh, been used by a smoker. And you have to drive along for the, for the whole morning or the afternoon with the windows down and the vents on. Because it's absolutely it's just disgusting. The smell of it, it, it's sickening. But why are they doing this? It's against the law. I have no idea. People do all sorts of things which are against the law. Yeah. But perhaps the habit is stronger than the, than the punishment. Uh, it would be my guess, uh, but uh, I, I think it's, it's completely wrong. It's absolutely wrong, and then they don't think of other people. Someone else will have to use that lorry after them, yeah. you know. Um, a good example actually would be yesterday, when I went to pick up a lorry uh, yesterday in, in the yard back at the depot, and uh, there were cigarette butts on the floor of it, and you could the, the whole inside of the lorry was absolutely stinking. It, you could, the smell was absolutely acrid. It was horrible. Yeah, I find this incredible. We spoke to a litter picker earlier on. Yep. He's from Berkhamsted. He saw somebody in a work vehicle flicking a cigarette out of the window. He got straight on the phone. He grasped them up. Would you like to see all people doing that? I would. I would, yeah. 
I would, yeah. I mean, if, you might not agree with the law, but at the, the end of the day, the law is the law. You know, and there are ways to change it. Uh, you can uh, argue against it. Um, but, you know, flouting it is, uh, is the wrong thing to do. So the words there of Kevin, other lorry drivers I've been talking to this morning, they want people to grass up their own colleagues. They've had enough. It's a problem that I think is, is probably never going to go away. But as the Lissa Picker said earlier on, if we can do all we can, it might make some sort of difference. Cars, Justin, remind me, it's, it's a long time since I've had, ever had a cigarette, but, but mm. I've got a car, and I'm sure my car has uh, these things called ashtrays in yes, them. Yes, yes, funny enough, it's what Colin said earlier on as well, you know, if you've got an ashtray in your car, use it, but of course, to some people, they would prefer to flick that cigarette yeah. out of the window just because they're being lazy. What you do see, you don't see it so much these days, but you do still see it a lot, is in like um, Tesco's car park or Sainsbury's car park, you'll see someone, or in an NCP, getting their ashtray that's full up with butts, yeah. and then just tapping it out the side. <laughs> just tapping it on the people floor. Do it, you know, it's never going to go. We, we, we see it all the time, despite changes in the law as well, people are still smoking behind the wheel of their, their car, their van, their lorry, and of course, they're flicking that butt out of the window as well. Flick that butt, Justin. Flick that butt. Well, with us now is Dave Atherton, chairman of the organisation Freedom to Choose. Morning, Dave. Morning, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. What do you think about Colin Garrett? He's the, the, the gentleman who grasses people up when he <laughs> sees people smoking in company vans and cars and chucking their fags out the window. Well, as a matter of fact, I'm not necessarily that against him, you know, for, for, you know, for, you know, for uh, well, I'm against people reporting it. But uh, I, I certainly don't condone people you know, flicking their cigarette butts out of, uh, out of the window. My, my ashtray in my car is bulging, and uh, when it gets too full, I actually put it in the dustbin at home. But what do you think about people who do smoke in company cars and, and work vehicles? They're, they're not allowed to. It's very naughty, isn't it? Uh, well, you know, it's, it, you know the, the, the smoking ban of two, from 2007 in England is a bad law. It's a wrong law. And, uh, you know, you can, only, you can only have laws that are decent, that, that, that should be respected. You know, to my mind, you shouldn't shoot, you know, people who do want to smoke in cars, it's their own property. It might be a company car or a company van, but effectively it's under their control and it's their property. They should be allowed to do any legal thing in there that, 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 that's, uh, that's permissible. But supposing they have to drive a client around or somebody else gets to use the car and it stinks of fag ash, no one wants that, do they? Uh, well, that, that's, that, that is that person's decision to do that. Uh, so some people don't like, like like the smell of air fresheners in there. Some some people are allergic to them. Now you going to ban air fresheners. Oh, David, there? you're clutching at straws slightly. Some people don't like the smell of air fresheners. We all love the the, the fir tree. I can't stand them. It's it's horrible, cheap smell. But uh, I would be furious. We have we have company cars here. We have B- 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 BBC Three Counties cars that get driven around and stuff. And at some point, I will be called a- a- upon to drive one of those beasts. I would be furious if one of the reporters had been out having a fag in there and it stunk of fag ash and it was all horrible. I wouldn't like that, Dave. Well, well that's fair enough. That, 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 that's, that's your particular preference. You, you, you mentioned a number of different cars there. Why can't you have non-smoking and smoking cars? But why should there be any smoking cars? Because the, the, once you've got a smoker who's in a car and is smoking, then that smoke is going to be ingrained into that car. You're never going to get rid of it. It's not fair, is it? Uh, well, it's, it's also also not fair on the smoker. They, they, they might have to drive 200 miles, 100 miles to go somewhere, and they can't smoke. Stop off, stop off at a service station and have a fag. Uh, well, you know, you obviously we're, we're all working to time, and we're all, all working work, work, work to the constraints of getting somewhere at a re- reasonable time. Um, no, I, I think it really is, really is quite unfair to ban, to, you know, to ban completely ban smoking when you, when you could offer people choice. Well, it's, it, it, would, it would appear, Dave, uh, that you are um, you want the non-smokers to compromise, but you as a smoker, you're not prepared to offer any 
compromise. Is that right? Well, you, know, you, know, you know, it's a case of, you know, you know I'm, sure, I'm sure amongst ourselves, without having draconian rules, we, 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 we can work out a reasonable compromise here, surely. Now, if, you, if you're talking about, you know, uh, a number of different cars, four or five cars, you know, in, in, in a pool, surely you have one designated as smoking and, and the other three or four as being non-smoking. When you're out and about and you're, you're going shopping or whatever, do you chuck your fag butts on the floor? No, I know this is where I have a certain amount of sympathy, sympathy with this guy because I, I, I also personally dislike litter. Uh, you know, also, but I'm saying that I, I, I probably crisp uh, fast food takeaway wrappers are far worse than cigarette butts. Also, all you know, people throwing throwing their cans of uh, cans of coke all over the place as well. I think that's far far more unsightly than, than cigarette butts. The worst thing, though, Dave, and this is this is terrible, is when you get home, you take your shoe off. Oh, and I've got a fag butt stuck to the bottom of my shoe. I've got to touch that and take it off. It's horrible. Uh, well, uh, well, in that case, should, should, we, should we ban chewing gum? I'm, I'm sure chewing gum, or even you know, if you like dog mess on your shoe, is far worse than a cigarette butt. I will, I will, ba- I will totally ban chewing gum. <laughs> I'm not going to bat you on that, Dave Atherton. Thank you very much, Chairman of the organisation Freedom to Choose. So, two issues here. Two issues. First one: smoking in, in company cars and company vehicles and lorries and. and white vans and, and trucks and things like that should it be bad has dave got a point that, that maybe you should have a smoker's car owned by the company and you should have another car that isn't that, that, that's non-smoking does that make sense do you smoke in your company car oh eight four five nine four double five five double five do you think it's ridiculous that you're driving a company vehicle a truck a lorry whatever and you're not allowed to smoke in it oh eight four five nine four double five five double five the other issue on the back of this is, is the littering aspect and we've all seen drivers chuck out their their cigarette butts um out of the window and it's not pleasant is it w- would you would you grass someone up would you tell gary henderson on the facebook and i ride a motorcycle i've had a cigarette hit me in the face by a car driver when i stopped next to him at the lights and told him he did the same thing all car drivers say didn't see you mate well yeah try looking in your mirrors mate says Gary. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. I've, I have smoked and I haven't had a cigarette for uh, nearly eight years. Um, and it, uh, it is horrible, isn't it? Cigarette butts just strewn all over the place. And you do, you go, if you're out now, if you're out and about, or you're going to be out later on, have a look down on the floor. You'll see them. My friend, Dougie, got an £80 on-the-spot fine for throwing his cigarette butt on the floor. Good. Good. Pay that £80. Serves you right. Don't go littering up everywhere. It's horrible. And another thing is, is when you get smokers, they do it here, standing outside the front door, having a cigarette, so you've got to walk through that cloud of smoke. Oh, please. Oh, please, for goodness sakes. I don't want to stink of your fag ash. Ah, lovely bit of panto. Who are you going to go and see this year? What TV stars are, are up and around in beds, hearts and bucks? For me, Mr Maker, St Albans? Yes, please. Well, is panto suitable for all the family? The Hawthorne Theatre in Welling Garden City says under threes are not welcome, verboten, at its performances of this year's offering Jack and the Beanstalk. Well, what do you think? If you couldn't take your child to Panto, would you be upset or understanding? Joined by two guests now, we've got uh, etiquette consultant Heather Pickering. Good morning, Heather. Good morning. And we've also got the writer of the blog A Mother's Ramblings, Pippa Wright. Morning, Pippa. Morning. Pippa, what do you think of the theatre's decision? I think it's terrible. The whole point of Panto is that it is something for the family. Yes, I can understand that if there's a screaming child, a screaming baby there, that it is going to disrupt other people. But most three-year-olds can sit and watch a film. They can sit and watch a panto. 
There is an argument, though, isn't there, that, that a two-and-a-half-year-old, a three-year-old might get a little bit excited, might make noise at the wrong moment. They could ruin it for the older kids and the adults. Oh, I don't know. We went to the pant at the start of the month, and I was certainly screaming out at points that we weren't supposed to. But it's part of the fun. That's why the, the actors, you know, they're used to heckles. They're used to things like this. They carry on. They're professionals. Heather, it's all a bit, it's all a bit of knockabout fun. It's noisy. Kids should be encouraged to go to the theatre and see pantomime. Uh, well, I think the whole thing is quite ghastly, and I think children should be kept at home until they stop grunting and learn to use a knife and fork properly. They wouldn't ever go out until they were in their early 20s. Well, absolutely right. OK. <laughs> Heather, are you, Heather, are you seriously saying that kids shouldn't be allowed to go to the pantomime and shout and hurl things and get excited? Oh, no, he, behind you, all of that... Well, if you, if you think of the origins of pantomime, I mean, I, 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 they're mostly fairy stories yeah. which reflect on the worst of human nature. You know, they're not the innocent, cuddly stories that, that yeah. people think they are. Um, and I, I think that they're too young to be taken out. I mean, I certainly, I, I've never had children and I don't haven't for years been to a pantomime so i'm not really qualified to say well let me i, I have been to a pantomime and let's see what happens is you get someone from the telly like mr maker who, who you'd probably like heather he's good or someone like that all the fonds and Ooh. they come out and there's lots of shouting and they there's a bad guy and the kids will boo the bad guy and they all cheer the the hero or the heroine and there's a song at the end and it's wonderful fun it's magical is it oh it's absolutely magical yeah <laughs> It would, it would fr- defrost even your heart, Heather. Would it really? Maybe not. Pippa. Yes. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> d- d- do you know of any other uh, theatres, Pippa, that have, have got this, this kind of policy of not allowing younger kids to go to pantomime? I have seen it advised for certain performances. There, there have been for um, some rather adult-themed uh, plays that I've been to see. They do say, don't bring children under X age. Mm. Um, we went and saw a show a couple of years ago, my husband and I, and we knew that we wouldn't take the children, even though it was it was based on puppets and things, and we thought, no, this isn't something for the children. We was that Avenue Q? It certainly Yeah, was. you don't want to take kids <laughs> to Avenue Q, it's <laughs> filthy! But we, we were quite shocked. We saw some children there that I actually knew that were 10 and 11. Oh, dear! And so, yeah, but their wow. parents had agreed that they could go, and so we, we were shocked with that. But going to the panto, and, and yes, they are based on fairy stories, but there's always a moral. The good always wins. It warns the children that the world isn't as sweet and nice as parents sometimes make out. Heather, there's, there's a moral. Kids are learning from these shows. They're learning right and wrong. That's what Aesop's Fables and, and uh, the, the Brothers Grimm and all of these pantomime stories are, are really about, aren't they? Well, I think there's very little um, to do with the actual morals of the story. In, in what I read of, of pantomimes. I mean, the whole thing is so distorted to, to take in, you know, modern life and, and personalities that I think that the, the essence of the fairy stories has been lost. And yes, I, I think there's a lot to be said for, for fairy stories, but only in the pure form, not in the distorted form. Heather, what's wrong with taking kids out for an hour and a half of good old-fashioned entertainment. We all want to see Phil Mitchell dressed up as the bad guy. We all want to just go and have a laugh and just forget our problems for an hour and a half, don't we? Um, well, I think it's, quite, it's rather better to stay at home and listen to the radio. But, you, but the three-year-old isn't going to... Yeah, listen, my boy listens to the radio a lot. He does. But you, you, they need more of a visual stimulation. They need experiences, don't they? Well, I think 
parents use those experiences to, you know, to keep them quiet. Instead of spending time with their children and talking to them correctly, I think they, they just throw stuff at them. Pippa, you're just throwing stuff at kids by taking them to, out to a theatrical experience. I don't think... I think that's rather a generalisation. I'm afraid that um, with children going to the panto, you know, it bring, opens up a whole lot of conversations. My son's been... He's, he's four, so he's been chatting to me about what he saw and he's been telling me about the different things. He remembers when he first went. He was 18 months old the first time he went to the panto. He, and he remembers that? He remembers that. He remembers... Um, it was someone that we knew in the panto, so he remembers seeing them dressed up. He remembers shouting at the baddies because the baddie was trying to get the goodies shoe and things like this. And so he remembers, he remembers and he's learnt now from the previous years and from other things that we do with the children what Christmas is about because, you know, they always have a mention. Mm. And it's about bringing the family together, but having going out to the, cin- to the cinema, you're sitting in a dark room, going out to the panto, you're sitting together, you're all joining in, you're shouting he's behind you, you're shouting boo and hiss, as you say, at the baddie who everybody needs to have in their life. And then, you know, you have a chat on the way home talking about the bits that you did like, the bits that you didn't like. It it allows the children to say, I didn't like this bit. It was scary. You can then address the child's fears. Heather, you're creating and building happy memories from childhood. Oh, wow. I'm so glad. Do you you have any happy (laughs) memories from your childhood, Heather? Pippa sounds like an excellent parent. Doesn't she just? Thank you very much. I think you'll find, though, that most parents are exactly like me. Most parents couldn't bring up a goldfish, let alone a child. Heather, do you have happy memories from your childhood? No, not particularly, and I don't have children, so, um, you know, I'm spared that. I have a few happy memories. How many? Um, oh, about two, I suppose. Give us, could you share one of those with us? I couldn't even think about it. It was far too long ago. <laughs> OK, let's just go off on a slight tangent, because I want to open this up a little bit. Pippa, taking kids to restaurants, where do you stand on that? Uh, it depends what the restaurant is yep. and also what time. If it's past their bedtime, no way. If it's before their bedtime and they're going to behave, then yes, go for it. And it's when I'm saying restaurants, I'm not meaning, you know, swanky bistros. I'm not saying let's, let's take them to the Ivy. I'm talking about <laughs> places like, you know, Giraffe and Pizza Express and things like that. Um... I, I, I'm getting here that I'm going to take the opposite view to Heather, but yes, totally take them. If they can learn how to behave in public so that they're not um, being rude to other diners, so that they learn that, you know, you sit still, you eat your dinner, you have polite conversations, well, as long it's as, brilliant. As long as those things are taught to children at home, but then, you know, there are certain people who wouldn't go to restaurants where, where there are going to be children, you know, rather like me. But Heather, they have to learn these things in a social setting. My boy, he's nearly three. Uh, we go out to these places like that, that I've just mentioned, and uh, he, he is learning how to eat and interact out in the real world in a social setting. I won't let him run around at the restaurant. That is, no, that because is because you're a good parent. I am an excellent parent. I've, I've been to, to, to places where the parents are absolutely ghastly, and they just sit there and let their children do what they like. Heather, listen, before we go, I've got two boys. They're going to be three and one in January. My wife and I were hoping to go to the pictures on Saturday night. Is there any chance I could persuade you to look after them for me? I doubt it very much. You pay £2.50 an hour. I mean, you wouldn't, you wouldn't know... I wouldn't know what to do with children anyway. I'm, we're so going to get a feature, Heather, where you get to spend the afternoon with some kids. We're going well, dis- to discuss it. Oh, I think I'd rather take my own life. There we go, Heather Pickering. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, Pippa, are, are you going to any pantomimes this year? We've already been to one uh, at um, our local Milton Keynes Theatre, and we had great fun. Who, who was in it? Were there any? Was there any, any EastEnders in it? Um, there was the lady that used to be in Five Star. There was Anna Williamson, who used to present children's TV. I love it. 
and um, I can't remember who the I other love the fact Louis, that one of Louis Oh, Louis Spence. Yeah. Oh, he's oh, yes. He was quite amusing. He's fun. <laughs> I love the fact that, that one of those people was named the lady who used to be in Five Star. I couldn't remember her name. No. She spelled it silly. <laughs> <laughs> Pippa, it's lovely to talk to you. Have a lovely Christmas with the kids. Thank you very much indeed. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Well, they were good fun, weren't they? They were cracking fun. What do you think? Do you agree with Pippa or do you agree with Heather? That no children should be kept in until they can eat and walk and talk properly. Uh, on the subject of smoking in vehicles, David is in Aylesbury. Morning, David. Good morning, Ian. How well, are you? Well, yeah, I'm good, thank you. We haven't got much time. What do you think about uh, people who smoke in, in work and company cars? Oh, uh, Ian, I'm so infuriated. Really quickly, um, I used to, I'm a student nurse now, but I used to work with the patient transport people. Okay, the ambulance they, drivers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But they weren't the emergency ones. They right. were the ones that would bring them to, you know, the non-emergency. Anyway, okay. they would smoke in their vehicles prior to the van, the oh, van ignoring any, like, trust policy. Um, and and these, some of these patients had lung cancer and that were sort of, you know, recovering from chemotherapy and stuff. Yeah. And it just infuriated me so much. I was like... Did you ever say anything, David? Well, I... I was still quite young then. I was about 17 or 18. Yeah. You know, it was my, my part-time job from college. And I, and these guys were really old, sort of, you know, mature men. And I had respect for them. And I, it, it's just, I, I cannot stand it. It's, it's ridiculous. How's, the, how's the nurse training going? You, you, you enjoying really it? really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I, I'm just going to try and make a real difference to people's lives. You know, I don't agree with smoking, but it's their choice. But I just have to pick up the pieces at the other end. David, well, well what a nice bloke, David. That, that's who we want nursing. I want people like David nursing. Thank you, David. Morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. You're getting very fired up about all of the things we're talking about. I'll go through them again in a second. If you want to get in touch, facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. You can send us a little text, 81333 3CR. I'll give you the phone number in a second. Have a listen to this. Bedfordshire Police say they've changed the way they handle cases of vulnerable adult abuse after 15 men were allegedly sexually assaulted at the Luton and Dunstable Hospital. We'll speak to the independent chair of the Joint Safeguarding Group to find out what's happening now. Ageism in the NHS is stopping some older cancer patients getting the best treatment. That's according to the cancer support charity Macmillan. We'll hear from Dr Mike Smith from the Patients Patients Association in the next half an hour. And if a theatre said you couldn't take your child aged three or under to pantomime, would you be upset or understanding? Well, the Hawthorne Theatre in Welling Garden City has banned them. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. An independent report into the alleged abuse of 15 vulnerable men at the Luton and Dunstable Hospital has highlighted similarities to the Jimmy Savile investigation. Hospital worker Amit Mahabia from Butley Road in Luton was accused of carrying out the crimes on the stroke ward between 2008 and 2011, but he took his own life before his trial. He was said by staff to be competent and well-liked and, according to the report, quote, enjoy a positive reputation, unquote. Our reporter Sophie Solaria met Amit's brother Ash a few days after his body was found. He spoke exclusively to BBC Three Counties to plead his brother's innocence. My mum and all my brothers, sisters, nephews and niece. I can't put down in words how I feel, so I'm going to keep it short. I'm really sorry that I had to end my life. I'm not committing suicide because I'm guilty, but I can't take all this pressure. Hope you forgive me. My name is Ash Mohabia. Amit Mal was, he was my younger brother. I was very close to him. Did you speak to Ami in his last few weeks? Uh, actually, I met him 
uh, on Friday. He took these pills on Saturday evening. And then there was a sadness in his face. I told him, oh, you're losing weight. How come you've lost so much weight? Ash, what was your brother accused of? He was working, uh, not as a nurse, but assistant, as a nursing assistant at uh, Luton and Dunstable Hospital. He was accused of sexual assault on 13 males. Police arrested him and then they asked for victims to come forward, which like 13 people did come forward. And I think that the police should have checked on them, you know, before they treated my brother like, like a criminal, like a pervert, like it's been said in the papers. You know, you believe in the justice system and then the media portray the accused as a criminal, you know, which I don't think is fair. So when you saw these accusations of your brother being called a pervert in the press, how did that make you feel? I've been dealing very badly, tell you the truth. Very, very badly. I lost my faith in the justice system then. I'm trying to find a way, you know, to get justice still, uh, because I know my brother, I know he hasn't done that. How do you know that he's innocent? Uh, I've known him all my life, you know, and I know the sort of person that he's. I know he would never harm anyone. These allegations have been made. Do you think there's any chance you don't know your brother as well as you thought you knew him? Uh, I know him very, very well. Like I said, he would tell me everything, you know. If he has done it, he would have told me, but still, like I said, I know him. Uh, I grew up with him, you know, and uh, like I said, I mean, I know myself and I know him. We would never, ever harm anyone. You know, he's been painted him as a criminal when, you know, hasn't even been to court. And they were acted as judge and jury, which I don't think is fair. The families of the people involved may be listening to this. They've made attempts to tell the BBC how upset they are that there is not going to be a trial. If he was guilty, I was the one who would have condemned him, first of all, you know. But I know, like I said, I know he hasn't done it. He's kept saying he hasn't done it. And now, you know, he, he paid that for his life. Well, that's our reporter, Sophie Solaria, talking to um, uh, Amit's brother, Ash Mahabia, just shortly after his body was found. The independent chair of the Joint Safeguarding Group is Professor Michael uh, Preston Shoot. Good morning, Professor. Good morning. <clears throat> Can you just explain what the Joint Safeguarding Group is? Yes, there are two uh, local safeguarding adult boards that cover the three authorities in Luton, Central Bedfordshire and Bedford Borough. I'm the independent chair of the Luton Safeguarding Adult board. Both those boards, given the seriousness of the uh, events uh, at Luton and Dunstable Hospital, uh, decided to create um, a task and finish working group to commission an independent inquiry to oversee the delivery and then the publication of that inquiry, which concluded yesterday. This chat was very popular, and we're hearing that um, the, the, the Savile inquiries that are going on into hospital, that, that being popular and well-liked, perhaps encourages people to maybe take their eye off the ball slightly. Do you think that that's possibly the case here? I think it encourages uh, a loss of um, a necessary curiosity about um, all uh, professionals who work uh, in healthcare, in social care, uh, in in the police force, in 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 any occupation which is dealing with patients, service users, people who might be vulnerable or at risk, uh, there is a very real danger that if you become complacent, if you lose curiosity about who might be working in these systems, then you are potentially running dangerous risks. It's hard, isn't it? Because in, when I go to the hospital, I've, I've been for myself and for, for family members, 
you kind of you trust everyone don't you you do trust everyone yes and um uh, and you have a right to expect that when you do put your trust in people who have knowledge and skill that you are depending on um uh, you have a right to expect that you will get the best possible care the best possible treatment with the best possible respect and dignity and and choice um and the vast majority of people who work in health and social care um deliver that day in day out often in very difficult circumstances unfortunately uh, not everybody does mm. um, and systems have to be as rigorous as they can be and as curious as they can be uh, to make sure that um, um, these people are identified um, and are taken out of the health and social care profession in this case the first victim came forward in about 2009 could more have been done then um, we were very candid in the uh, independent inquiry report and at the uh, press uh, conference yesterday that um, um, the more could have been done um, to um, explore uh, how the hospital could have kept patients safe once the police had determined to close down the 2009 criminal investigation. Um, measures could have been put in place to, uh, for, for the benefit of the alleged perpetrator, um, but equally to make sure that um, patients on Ward 17 were safe. Mm. The police also um, have identified that uh, uh, the investigation were it to happen now would be done um, um, by detectives that wasn't the case um, at the time it was done by uh, uniformed officers in plain clothes um, so the police too have learned lessons from um, the way the 2009 um, inquiry was conducted and the inquiry report spells that out in full the report seems to suggest that it's not singled out any one organization for criticism it, it seems to imply there was a, a, a lack of joined up thinking across the the, the hospital the police and the local councils is, is, is that one of the problems um I, I would say that um, um, today in 2012 the level of multi-agency cooperation both at senior level and at frontline practice level is actually very strong. Um, not that I'm complacent about it but I think it is strong. Um, I think there was in 2011 when the second series of incidents and allegations were made um, I think there was a lack of clarity the inquiry report is very clear about it a lack of clarity about who should take the initiative um, um, but uh, once it was very clear um, that the alleged perpetrator in 2011 appeared to be the same person as in 2009, then the hospital and the police cooperated very closely together. Um, a number of, um, of victims were identified, um, and um, as you've reported, uh, the alleged perpetrator was, um, was duly charged. Now, this, of course, never went to trial because uh, um, Amit uh, took his own life. It, there must be a sense of frustration. We've heard from Ash, his brother. That was recorded a while ago, who, who believes his brother's innocent. Uh, there must be frustration for his family and, of course, for the victim's family. Is it, I don't know how this works. Is this the kind of thing that could go to trial retrospectively? Uh, no. Um, <clears throat> uh, my understanding is that uh, because the alleged perpetrator took his own life, um, um, that um, has to be the end of criminal proceedings in respect of um of the alleged perpetrator it's very frustrating because we are using the word alleged here a lot this morning and i'd imagine that those victims 
well, obviously justice hasn't been been served has it um in in the sense of concluding a, um, a criminal investigation no and i have every sympathy for the victims and their families and and expressed yesterday and express again today profound regret um, um, um as as to what happened i also said yesterday and would say again it must be very difficult for the victims and their families to achieve closure uh, i hope that this report goes some way to uh, enabling them to feel uh, that lessons have been learned and to enable them to feel um, um, that uh, they can um, uh, close off um, and uh, w w what happened and move on with their lives. But I recognise it mm. must be very difficult because, yes, um, uh, we are using alleged um, um, as a word um, um, and, and I would not wish to deny for one moment the, um, the seriousness of the experiences that they have gone through and the feelings that that generates. In conclusion, Professor, what, what, what are kind of the main key points that, that have been learnt as a resu result of this and what changes are being put into place? That human resources procedures in hospitals and other organisations um, have to be um, really rigorous, that when allegations are made, uh, even if criminal proceedings do not um, uh, continue, um, uh, that um, em employees have to be um, scrutinised uh, and protective measures put in place both for them um, but also for service users and patients. I think the other key message um, is that anybody who has any concerns at all whether they are uh, workers or whether they are patients or service users must bring their concerns um, to the notice of those who, um, who have a responsibility to investigate them and must never let those concerns go until they feel they have been fully investigated. Professor, thank you very much for coming in. I appreciate your time. Professor Michael uh, Preston Shute, who is the independent chair of the Joint Safeguarding Group. <laughs> have you finished? <laughs> have you finished? I'll, I'll start when you're ready. <laughs> I'm sorry, I was it's just... your time you're wasting, not mine. I was just treating the phone in. Uh, I was just finishing off my treat of the phone in. Is he that all right? He comes in. He's a, he's a little bit <laughs> happy-clappy this morning. I don't know why. Happy-clappy. <laughs> have, have you been smoking? What have you been doing? I've Drinking? not done, I've have not done, done anything. Done a, have you done a drug this morning? Have no. Have you taken a drug? No. Only my usual thousand milligrams of vitamin C. <laughs> he comes in, he sits down, rudely starts texting his friends. No, I'm treating... You look at Twitter, it's just popped up. Put your phone in your... I will have a look. Put your yeah, phone in your leather case. Then you'll see what I'm doing for the phone in. That's, that's, you won't even need to ask me. Let's find out what, what one of my stories you've stolen this morning on the big... <laughs> on the big phone in today! Is it acceptable to bag young children as well in some places? Call me with your field nine! <laughs> why, why, why are you doing that as any voice? That's your voice. How dare you? I've got a very serious I've voice. I've got a very serious voice. Some people say I've got a silly voice. Yes. Is that very hurtful, isn't it? Well, I've heard your real voice. So I, I, there's your radio <laughs> voice. There's this voice, which is a, yeah. it's a lot of fun. Yeah. And then I've heard your real voice. What's the real voice like? All right, love. <laughs> Got any fags? <laughs> I'm busting for a smoke. <laughs> <laughs> That's your voice. So normally when, I, when I'm off air, I talk yes. like that, do I? Like Frank Butcher. <laughs> <laughs> All right, love that princess. All right, yeah. Yes, you do. All right. You're uh, very s casual this, this morning in terms of clothes. Yes, I'm a, winding down for Christmas now. You've got a mauve jumper with uh, a polo. Mauve? I've not heard the word mauve for years. That is mauve, isn't it? Mauve? No, it's burgundy. With a picture of a polo player on. Yes, yes, true. Very trendy. Mm -hmm. uh, Mr. Village. <laughs> a scruffy T-shirt underneath. How you dare you? Got your trousers on and some cheap shoes. You're looking great. Thanks very much. Uh, now, we've discussed what's coming up on the show, so I'll see you later. Yep.
See you later on. Or do you want to do the, the, the preamble bit? Well, let's have a little chat. Do, do the talking Do you bit. mind? Do the, do the on, talking bit. Sell it. Sell it. Is it acceptable to ban young children from some places? Very interested in your conversation you've been having That's about right, this pantomime. Yes. Uh, parents in a Hertfordshire town have been told that children under three aren't welcome at this year's panto. OK, so this is at a panto. But what other places this Christmas would you like to see some children banned oh, from? I hate you. Why? You're I knew this was why so, you're being eggy. You're so... I'm not eggy. You're so cold. Why? You're so cold. You don't like children. Yeah, I do. Do you? Yeah. Name a child. Only if they are very well behaved. Oh, do you like that grumpy woman we had on half an hour ago? No, it's true. There are some places that I remember. I was talking upstairs to my team. I remember yeah. years ago. Whatever happened to this? My parents, they'd take us to the pub. Me and my brother, we had to sit in the car. <laughs> <laughs> do you remember those well, days? They, they, we you... weren't allowed in the pub. so They'd bring we'd... out a Coke and you'd... Yeah, sit... we'd get a Coke and a packet of crisps... <laughs> And we'd sit in the back of the car, because that's what children weren't allowed in pubs. Uh, what happened to those good old days? Hey, how, how old were you? Oh, I think this went all the way up to about eight or nine. You still weren't allowed in the pub. Your parents will be locked up for that now. Why? Well, you can't leave kids in a car with a Coke. My grandmother, my, my very elderly grandmother, yep. who's 98... Star of she, the festive face-off, the Boxing No, 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 this is the other one. Oh, the other one, OK, sorry. She, uh, she was never very keen on small children, because right. they'd move things. So when we'd go down to Devon to see her, she'd purposefully choose pubs yep. for, the, for the family lunches that didn't allow children in. Brilliant, that's genius. So my brother and I would have to have ours outside, <sighs> while the rest of the family were all inside in the pub. But it's just acceptable, isn't it? You get used to it. Children only have a problem with you're, it if their parents have a problem with it. You're not messed up at all, are you? No, I'm oh. perfectly normal. Yeah. So, from nine this morning, is it acceptable to ban young children from some places? I'll tell you where they should be banned from. Yes. Flights, aeroplanes. Oh, don't, don't start do that nonsense. I've, I've thought of a, a good idea. Yeah. I don't know whether this will catch on. You know there's been all this kind of talk about having sections where the parents sit. Yes. I don't think it's necessary. I think all that's needed is a couple of... You know the, the toilets yes, in on aeroplanes, that size of cubicle? If you put two of those together and soundproofed it... Oh, get out. No, hang on. No, get out. You can put the kids in there. No, 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 wait for it. You soundproof that little area, and then you have it as a part of the terms and conditions of your boarding pass. Yes. If your small child makes a noise, yeah. then you have to take them into this soundproof bit until they are quiet. Uh, uh, we finished it. Well, well, we, we finished it. You, you actually annoy me. Oh, out. What's wrong with that? It's a good idea, isn't it? Get out. Go on, turn your mic off. Go. You've actually annoyed me, this one. Properly annoyed. <laughs> Thank you. Knock him out! Get out! <laughs> actually angry now, this morning. Thing is, he said, right, Oh, no, don't be harsh to him. He's, he's having a bit of fun. He actually means that. He genuinely means that. <sighs> on FM, AM, and online, BBC Three Counties Radio. What time is Jeremy Kyle on? Ageism in the NHS is stopping some older cancer patients getting the best treatment. That's according to a survey published today by Macmillan. The cancer support charity spoke to oncologists, nurses and GPs and found out almost half of them have dealt with a cancer patient who's been refused treatment on the grounds they were too old. Nearly two-thirds said they'd heard health professionals speak to older cancer patients in a condescending or dismissive way. 
Well, earlier on, I spoke to Dr Mike Ingram, a GP from the Red House Surgery in Radlett. Uh, decisions tend to be made on the basis of the individual in front of them. Certainly the oncologists who look after my patients always seem to uh, invest a great deal of time in trying to work out what is in, uh, what they, in their professional opinion, is the best and discuss that with the patients and their relatives and help the patient make a decision of what pathway to go down. And certainly I've had patients in, the, in their late 80s who've had every possible treatment for their cancer that, I think, endorses the fact that we've moved away from this image of us, uh, of the medical profession, tending to be uh, using age as the criteria. It's part of the assessment of someone, as much a part of the nature of their cancer, the aggression of their cancer, and the harmfulness or harmlessness of their cancer. Why do you think Macmillan is saying the attitude towards elderly people is dismissive? I think it's because we've got to be on our always on our guard as professionals to make sure we treat everyone with the same uh, dignity respect and uh, enhance our ability to communicate with people you 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 know you have to talk to people differently in different stages of their lives different people different understandings well dr mike smith is from the patients association good morning doctor Uh, good morning ian what what do you make of macmillan's research well, I, I think Mike's in the other half. I think the Macmillan research is supporting, really, what we hear on a National Patients Association helpline. Um, I wouldn't have said half, but at least a lot of the professionals that phone us, and certainly the near and dear of the elderly, if not the elderly themselves, do, 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 do tell us that, in fact, they're not being communicated with in an empathetic way in the way that they would like. And that was backed up by the chief nurse of the NHS only, what, a week ago? Um, perhaps ten days, two weeks ago, when she came out with her she she had half a dozen c's communication compassion care and so on um communication uh all these things she says really are inherent in the whole attitude that the um professionals have towards the individual whatever age they are and it's going to say mike is it just the elderly that are, f- that are facing this or are, they, are they facing it more than, than than younger people they're facing it more mm. so i think they're less inclined to really fight back uh, although <clears throat> their nearest and dearest on their behalf do often enough uh, but you know the individuals themselves don't like to do it too much because they understandably feel that they'll be seen to be a moaner and 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 will even get worse treatment but i mean to do so when it's potentially life-saving unless as mike ingram was saying it is in the best interest of the individual but then it ought to be taken into account it, they, they ought to be taken into the discussion and the consideration as to why that is so it, uh, and their nearest and dearest if that's what they want we spoke to Macmillan earlier and they said that a, a lot of older people in their seven and an older were, were were actually probably tough enough to withstand the, the the rigors of the cancer treatment but they weren't having the proper assessment before they were just being written off because they're old they won't be able to take this treatment yeah well that is even worse i mean by all means the assessment has got to be done um, and as you say, uh, um, they, if it's appropriate, then that goes ahead, or it is discussed fully with them as to why it isn't a good idea, um, and um, with the help, if they require it, of their, and, and give permission for their near and dear to be also involved. How can we change the, the things? Mike? Well, it's a difficult one. It's got to be slow. But, I mean, you know, if morale is high in a service, you get people working as people and not just sort of ticking boxes. Mm. Um, And that's somehow the sort of uh, philosophy that we've got to get back. We we had it much earlier before. The other thing we've got to do, of course, is because a lot of the care at the moment is undertaken by care assistants who are not nationally recognised in a recognised way trained and regulated. 
the, the Nurses' Own Union, the Royal College of Nursing, is asking for this hard, as we all are. If we had properly trained care assistants, and many people, therefore, uh, would, would perhaps be got into the job like a good nurse is and was, um, in a way that makes them compassionate, empathetic, understanding, helpful, to see the need for that care side, not just the technical side, uh, then, then uh, there will be a long way forward. It's hard, isn't it? If you're not getting the, the treatment you think you deserve or the respect you think you deserve, I would be uncomfortable about complaining or, or, or making a fuss. I'm, I'm guessing if you're older, it, it, it could be even harder. What would you say to people who are perhaps a little bit cautious about speaking out? Well, get, get them to get onto our helpline or their nearest and dearest, 0845 608 4455. I've no doubt you'll repeat that again. And, and uh, get our uh, man during office hours, um, get them to give you ideas as to what and uh, how you go about it um, in a way that perhaps in a short time I couldn't. But suffice it to say that, yes, you have to somehow... I mean, it's better not to do it at ward level, perhaps to go to the central direction of the hospital, if not the trust, uh, and um, let them know of your of your um, disquiet about it all and say, you know, this is happening and, and what can you do about it? And hopefully either the um, nursing director or the chief executive will do something about it. Dr Mike Smith from the Patients Association, thank you very much indeed. We will get that phone number. We'll give it out before the end of the show. Call 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Boing, boing, boing. Morning, Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Coming up in the next half an hour, if you saw a company car driver smoking whilst driving would you report them we'll hear why uh, a litter picker from Berkhampstead is so fed up with it he's taking matters into his own hands and if you want to take your young children to the pantomime in Welling Garden City they're not welcome boo hiss bar humbug the Hawthorne Theatre says audience members must be 36 months o- o- over 36 months old do you think that's fair 08459 455 555 well, as you just heard, Alyssa Picker from Berkhampstead is urging you to report motorists driving company cars when they flick cigarette butts out of their windows. Since the 1st of July 2007, it's been illegal to smoke in the workplace. That includes company cars, vans and lorries. Well, earlier on, Justin Dealey spoke to Colin Garrett, who says that smokers cause, them more, mess, cause more mess than anybody else. The bulk of the stuff we pick up or the the number of individual bits we pick up are indeed the smokers they leave cellophane foil fag ends and eventually throw the packet so those are the things we pick up now of course it's now illegal to smoke in a company car a company van a company lorry you're encouraging people if they do see this to pick up the phone and effectively grass you did that recently what happened Well, I had a nice message back from the company uh, saying that, yes, indeed, they discouraged their drivers from smoking on the workplace. They realised it was an offence to drop litter. And, yes, indeed, they would have words with the driver. And you saw this on the high street here in Berkhamsted? Yes, I was parked right behind him waiting for the traffic lights. I saw the driver throw a fag end out of the window. I just happened to notice the name on the back of the van and remembered it until I got home and then uh, got in contact with them. And when you saw that person flick that fag end out of the car, just how angry did that make you feel? Just despairing. God, there goes another one. Uh, There are just too many people who just don't care. 
uh, I think with smokers, it's a built-in reaction. They drop it wherever they happen to be or flick it out of the window. Do they really do that at home, do you think? And you say, here we go again, despite the changes in the law, people are still doing this. Yeah, the trouble is um, they rarely do it where uh, somebody will pick them up on it. You know, you don't do it under the eyes of a policeman or PCSO. So you're trying to, to clean up Berkhamsted, but, but the message right the way across Beds, Hearts and Bucks is you're encouraging people, if they see this, just do what you did, pick up the phone and tell the company, grass them up. Yep, absolutely. Why not? Because some people may say, well, you know, you picking up the phone, making that call, you shouldn't be doing that, you should be minding your own business, but this is your town, so this is your business. Yeah, I've lived here 60 years and I don't like the way people are trashing it. Um, so that's why I decided to do something about it with the with the litter collection in the first place. And how many volunteers have you got here in Berkhamsted picking up litter who don't get paid a penny for doing so? At the moment we've got 97 and hopefully it will be over the 100 next year. You see, I find that incredible. What's the buzz for you? Because you're picking up somebody else's rubbish. What do you get from this, Colin? Well, first of all, we get a nice clean town. I mean, uh, most people are doing their own street. So that means they walk out of their front door, down the street into town or wherever they're going, and the street is tidy. It is not nice walking down to town and in other people's rubbish. Uh, the other thing is it's an, you get fresh air and exercise. It's a very sociable activity. I find myself talking to people on the streets that I would never normally have talked to. They stop and say, oh, you're doing a good job. Uh, some of them say, shouldn't Decorum Borough Council be doing this? And I say, yes, they should. And indeed, they used to before there were so many cars parked on the street that we, uh, the, the litter clearers can't get near it. Uh, but these days, if we waited for DBC to do it, we'd all be dead. <laughs> really simple as that simple as that um they you're are you're effectively doing their job for them though and you're doing it for nothing absolutely why should you well i agree uh there's no particular reason why we should but most of us quite enjoy having clean streets to walk mm. down and my theory is that if there is no litter people might think twice might think twice about dropping more that's justin dealey speaking to colin garrett and justin you sounded amazed that a gentleman would, would pick up litter in his own street have you never done that well yeah I've, I've done it before myself occasionally but but these people are giving up their time on a regular basis to to effectively as he says there do the job of decorum borough council and they're not getting paid a penny for it would you want to do that all the time would i want to do it all the time um i, I wouldn't want to but if if no one else was doing it then then i think i would i mean it's still a major issue i mean people flicking cigarette butts out of their their, their cars their vans their lorries it's happening all the time you mentioned in the introduction there that that's illegal if you've got your own car that that's your business yeah. you do as you please but if you're driving a company van or a company lorry you are not allowed to smoke in that vehicle we had a gentleman earlier on who suggested that um the company should have a smoking vehicle and a non-smoking vehicle. So BBC mm. Three Counties, if there are any smoking staff here, they could have a car, they'd go <laughs> off and have a little fag in it. That'll be fine. It's all very well, but it's illegal. It, well, well, exactly. That's what he wants. He thinks... The, who have you been talking to? Well, I've been talking to lorry drivers on the A5 in Hertfordshire this morning. I spoke to Paul earlier. He said to me that despite this being illegal, lorry drivers, that they are smoking behind the wheel all the time and they are flicking their butts out of the window. Take a listen to this. Well, yeah, I do see it all the time. I mean, not just that, other things, you know, the obvious things that are mobiles, all that still goes on. I mean, you know when they're doing it, because when you come up behind them, they suddenly slow down. You think, what's he, what's he slowed down for on the motorway? And then you go past, he's got the phone stuck to his ear, or he's 
I've seen them rolling up a fag, you know, and I think, well, I mean, I don't smoke, so, yeah. you know. It's, it's just a total disregard for the law. Uh, we spoke to a man earlier on. He wants other people, like like he did, mm. to pick up the phone and grasp, stop them in, call it whatever you want to. Yeah. Would you like to see more people taking the effort to do that, to hopefully stamp this out? Yeah, well, it, it could have an effect if people did it. It might, you know, the accumulated effect of uh, everybody, you know, if you had, had a few people ringing for the same person, for argument's sake, mm. then the message would get through. It's like when you see on the back of the truck about, how's my driving? Yeah. Now, everybody thinks that's a negative thing, but I've actually had it where somebody's rung up for me to praise me driving, yeah. and I didn't even know it was. I just got back and somebody said, oh, somebody's rung up about you, you know, saying, a good, you know, you did something. I said, oh, I don't even know what I did, you know. Yeah, so it works you both know. ways. It works both ways. So, and people know. flicking cigarette butts out the window, either of the lorries, the vans, well, the cars, again, goes without saying it's, it's happening all the time. It's, yeah. it's never going to go away, is it? No, no, I mean, obviously that is dangerous, like, because obviously if you're on a motorcycle, I mean, I used to ride a motorbike, Something like that coming out, you know, I saw it yesterday, come out, it's on the ground, it's still a light, yeah. you know, it, 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 even if it's not glowing red, it's still hot, isn't it? So if it gets yeah. in your face or, you know, your visor or whatever. And how angry does that make you feel? Well, it is because there's no need for it, is there, really? It's, you know, you're putting someone else's life at risk for your selfishness, really, aren't you, you know? I'm amazed by this, Ian, I've got to say, that that was Paul, all the lorry drivers this morning saying to me, yep, uh, my colleagues, they are still doing this, and as far as I'm concerned, yes, go and grass them up because unless their job is at risk they will continue to smoke and of course flick that cigarette butt out of the window justin let me describe the 70s to you right when i was growing up so i would have been like four or five years old we had an austin princess Ooh. didn't have a tape player in the car we had a tape a cassette player that my dad strapped to this this sort of central column in the in the thing and we put we'd be listening to ray stevens the streak oh ray stevens he's brilliant. talking yeah. right, that's a great song as well yeah. didn't work didn't have no one no one in that car is wearing seatbelts. I'm fighting with my sister. I'm climbing onto the front seat to sit on my mum's lap. Driving down the motorway, my dad, no hands on the steering wheel, is rolling up a fag. <laughs> that, my friend, is living all right. In the good old days. It's political madness gone wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Justin, thank you very much for that. We'll speak to you a little bit later on as well, I think. Uh, that was the 70s. I know, crazy. We did all right. Well, we didn't. Those people got injured and died, so they weren't brilliant. Uh, a text on smoking. Marion in St Albans. Even the bus drivers in St Albans get off and light up, leaving the bus doors open. The smoke comes in the bus, so I get my hair and clothes stinking. I hate to see workers outside shop smoking. Yeah, they look awful. You're right. They do look awful. But surely it's illegal to smoke whilst driving. How can that be safe? It's not illegal, Marion. It's not illegal. I'm thinking I, can, I could smoke with a cigarette. I'm doing it. I'm doing it now. Fag on, fag in my mouth to change the gear. Change gear, take the fag back out. I could do that. Yeah, I, I, I don't see a problem with that. It's just when it's company cars, that's when it's very, very unpleasant and very dirty, I think. Pantomime, the theatre in Welling Garden City, Jack and the Beanstalk. 36 months and under, you're not allowed to go. I think it's outrageous. Moen Hertfordshire, do you, do you agree with me on this? It's terrible. Yes, yes absolutely. Yes, I do agree. Um, who, are, who are these sad people that have actually banned it uh, under three? Because is there a law? I mean, is, are they allowed to do this to actually ban them? Well, I don't think there's a law. I, I, I think that the, as the, it's the theatre themselves, they're yeah. allowed to, to kind of say who goes and who doesn't go. It's, it's um, right, the Hawthorne right. Theatre in Welling Garden City. Yeah. Uh, it's Jack and the Beanstalk. Basically, it's their policy the whole year round. It's 36 months and under, you're not allowed, and they but are not, not changing it for pantomime. No, not a Christmas concert. I mean, how are children going to ever learn to behave or sit still if they don't go to these sort of things? I mean, a parent knows if their child's going to run about and they just don't take them. 
some parents have got two children and they can't leave the baby at home. Um, but if, I mean, I went to a concert the other night and there was two babies there, not a peep out of them. Yeah. So the parent knows that. I tell you so what, you, Mo, you, you some, know, some, some children, Mo, better behave than some adults. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not referring specifically to Jonathan Vernon Smith, but I reckon <laughs> once he's had a couple of Pinot Grigios inside him, I bet he's a, a right he's mouthy right. so-and-so. <laughs> oh, I bet it'd be absolutely awful. It's a lovely thing for a child to see, Jack and the Beanstalk. Well, it's, it's a know. great story. It's a traditional story. Yes. And it's a tradition in this country and has been for over a hundred years yes. of taking kids to the pantomime. They have of fun, course. they shout, they have a great time, they get the stickers and the lollipop and all of that stuff well i i would like to say um maybe they'll the parents will boycott the theater well, I and, and not go because they won't be able to go will they if they can't take their under two and they've got two children and they can't find a babysitter. Well, I couldn't possibly endorse that yeah. kind of behaviour. What would be interesting, you, you never know, they might do, this theatre might do a roaring trade with loads of people going, <laughs> oh, thank goodness for that, there won't be these horrible <laughs> little children there. We, we might go along, they might sell more tickets. Well, you never I know. know. We, we, I, as I say, I went to a little concert, Christmas concert, school concert, and there were two or three under threes there. Yeah. And they were fine, you know. Mo, thank you very much for that. I've got a few emails I want to get through. Um, this theatre, uh, Ursula. I love the name Ursula. It's a good name. Milton Keynes. Don't love that name so much. Ursula is a cracking name. This theatre manager is missing a trick. He's gone about it all the wrong way. Instead of banning young children, he could have done it differently. He could have organised a few special performances where adults have to be accompanied by a child. He could have added in two extra intervals and had opportunities to meet the cast in costume and done goodie bags with panto-related puzzles and activities. Maybe they need to change their PR company. Gloria in Harpenden. I applaud well in theatre for their stance on young children at the pantomime. I think there is nothing more annoying and uncouth as having young children interrupt an evening at the theatre. It's a poor reflection on the type of parents who bring up these unruly children. Well, you spelled parents wrong. But, uh, well, you know, but it's pantomime. It's not, you know, Hamlet. It's not Agatha Christie. Ian. I went to see Cinderella last week at Milton Keynes Theatre with Louis Spence starring. It was fantastic. Louis Spence definitely made the show for me. That's never been said before. And made it possible for me to sit with hundreds of screaming school kids. Debbie in Bedford. What do you think? We've got 15 minutes. 08459 455 555. JVS, who's on at nine, thinks kids should be banned from everywhere. I don't know if I can listen. Get me angry. It gets me angry sometimes. Not the good angry, the bad angry. Travel news now. Oh no, there's no travel news. Look, we're, we're waiting. It's hearts and bugs travel. I may have BBC jumped the gun. Three counties radio. I may have jumped the gun ever so slightly. Sophie Tyler is not there. There was there were rumours earlier on on Twitter, vicious rumours floating around on Twitter that she sounds hungover. I I, I mes- mentioned that to her. She denied it. She said she wasn't hungover today. Well, who knows? Maybe she was telling me a little porky pie. You just don't know. You can give us a call. 08459 455 555. Younger kids at pantomime. Should they be allowed? Producer Laura, it looks like you might be required to put on your posh voice. Use the term very, very loosely. And give us the travel news as Sophie Tyler has gone missing in the ether. She's on the phone, is she? She's uh, so Sophie's on the phone. Oh, it's all very, very exciting, isn't it? Oh, we're gonna no, we're gonna go. I'm gonna open a microphone. Let's see who's doing the travel. Uh, I can do the travel. Go on, go on, Laura, get in there. You love it. This is producer Laura with the travel. Uh, so 
Try it now. All right, then. Uh, there's some good news on our motorways this morning. Uh, if we haven't mentioned something that uh, you know about, then you can give us a call and She's freestyling. Go on. On 08459 555. That's Laura Miller with your BBC Three Counties Travel. Tyler, where were you? I was right here. Well, yeah, but you're on the phone. We don't do the travel on the phone. <laughs> what, what's going on? Something's happened and it won't work. <laughs> Did you hear Laura? She was good, wasn't she? she? Was excellent. Any, any tips for her? No, I think I need some. <laughs> we'll, we'll sort out a little <laughs> workshop. We'll, we'll speak to you later on, Sophie. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you very much, Laura. Excellent stuff. There we go. Let's uh, do this. Oh, it's exciting when things go wrong. I like it. I've just been, I'm just typing a message to a member of my team. Asking if something's real. They've sent me, Kelly Betts has sent me uh, a list of requirements for this theatre in Welland Garden City. Before I read it out, I just want to check that um, this is absolutely real. Because uh, it's quite incredible, this list of, of, of rules. We'll, we'll, we'll do that in a second. We're talking Panther because tis the season and all that. Um, uh, because Welling Garden City, the theatre... Wow, this is real. I'll read this out. The, the, they've banned kids 36 months and under from going to see their pantomime. Well, it, it's kind of the standard regulation. They don't let kids under that age go and see any plays, which is fine. But they're not going to relax that rule for the theatre. They've also got some other rules on their website, and these are some of them. Slurping. Although we allow you to drink during a performance or screening, please be mindful of the noise this makes. So none of that <laughs> when you get to the bottom of the slush puppy. No hobbies. What? Please don't knit, etc. during a performance. Watch the performance. No talking. You're in the theatre. You have come here to watch. Please be quiet. No mobile phone usage. I agree with that. Including updating Facebook. Turn them off. Do not kick the seats. The floor is for your feet, not the back of the seat. And here's one. No shoe removal. This is just unpleasant for everybody. Please don't do it. This theatre is so miserable. No shoe removal. It's not unpleasant for everybody. It's not unpleasant for me. I've not got stinky feet. I want to relax. I take my shoes off in the theatre sometimes. Hawthorne Theatre. Well, Liz Fraser is a parenting expert and an author. Good morning, Liz. Good morning. I do hope my microphone was turned down while you were reading that list. It, but <laughs> were, were, you, were you using potty language there? I was laughing very loudly, actually. <laughs> don't, uh, don't take your shoes off. But ladies take their shoes off quite a lot in places, don't they? We do like, we do like to take our shoes off, yeah. And you make that noise. You make that noise. You go, Ooh. Oh, that's better. Yeah. You've got your toes around a bit. No, but this list is quite amazing because, i tell you why... Presumably, all of this stuff has been put on this list because it has bothered people so yeah. much that yeah. they've complained. The Facebook update thing, I mean, I had never even thought of, but it's a good point. Yes. I've been to see films yeah. where teenagers um, have been sitting near me and are tweeting and updating their Facebook status while they're watching the film. Turn the phone really off. Disturbing. Uh, yeah, they, all, they're, all they're tweeting, though, is, yeah, I'm watching the, I'm watching the I Batman. I know, I know, isn't it weird? To Ooh. turn the phones off, but, but no, no hobbies. <laughs> no hobbies. I, I was going to bring my piano with me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm gutted. What about under threes? Should they be banned from Panto? Well, now, this is an interesting one. Fa- Panto is, of course, known as a family thing, and yep. people like to take their children. I have to say, honestly, as a parenting professional, what I do, under threes really don't gain very much from going to the theatre. That's putting it tactfully. Right. Um, they're tiny under three, and there are different Pantos that you can take, little, little tiny tots to, little theatre yeah. groups that do special things for young, very, very young children. Um, 
and I think we also do need to bear in mind these days, for some reason that I'm yet to understand, um, producers and, and theatre directors are turning volume up very, very high now. Yeah. So the, the actual sound levels are too high for such young children. There's a lot of bright lights. There's sometimes strobing effects. And I'm not trying to be a killjoy. Oh, really Liz, I've got, oh, you were so good at the start of this call. I've gone uh, right off you. Yeah, anyone who knows what I write knows I am little bit, oh, come on, for goodness sake, get up that tree and enjoy yourself. But, you know, under threes, <laughs> just what do they gain from it? Oh, well, they absolutely nothing. I'll tell you what all. they get. I've got, I've got a boy who's, who's going to be three in January. We're going to Panto before he's three, and he's, he's been to see shows, and he's, sorry? <laughs> did, you, did you take your shoes off then? <laughs> we, he's been to see shows, he's been to the theatre, he went to see the Tiger Who Came to Tea in a West End theatre yeah. about three or four months ago. i tell you what he got from it, Liz. He got the joy of seeing people performing something live, and not just on that little box in their oh, corner yeah. of there. Yeah. He got the joy of singing along, he got the joy of interacting, he got the joy of shouting out, he got the joy of the, the frisson of the live performance, Liz! But was he updating his Facebook page in the middle of it? I, I confiscated his, his iPhone. <laughs> he was having none of it. No, I, listen, I do agree with all what you've said. And I used to take my children to, uh, there's a theatre in London, a very small theatre in Soho that does special performances. And in Cambridge, we've got the Mumford, we've got, uh, in this area around, in, you know, there are lots of small yeah. theatres that do these things specific. I mean, the Tiger Who Came to Tea sounds pretty innocuous to me. <laughs> it was probably a children's performance. And yeah. that is the difference. Yeah. And Panto... But Panto is a children's performance. It's a family performance. You've got to be a little bit careful. There is a difference oh, okay. in that. And, and... So, I mean, I don't know, I think maybe the theatre's gone slightly slightly overboard. I also think it's probably written, I hope it was written with a bit of humour. Um, certainly it was read that way and I took it that way. But, um... They've under- banned knitting, Liz! You can't knit in that theatre! Oh, no, right. It's political madness gone wrong, or something. <laughs> a little political craziness. I don't know, I think... Uh, it depends what... I mean, there are some three-year-olds. Also, this is very important, OK? So, I think what parents don't like is they don't like the banning aspect. Yeah. So, I-, I would like to be able to make my own decision about my children to look at my three-year-old who might be more or less mature than another three-year-old and decide actually I think you will gain something from this let's go it's going to be good you won't disturb other people Mm. it won't be bad for you and you'll enjoy it and, and I think parents much prefer the idea of them being able to make their own minds up. When, when anybody starts stamping bands around here and there, we do tend to react fairly negatively, particularly about knitting, which, frankly, is, is just outrageous. Fascism. Liz, it's lovely to talk to you. Liz Fraser is a parenting expert and author. We'll get you on again. That was excellent. Thank you very much. Uh, well, Justin Dealey has been out and about speaking to the people of Bedfordshire. I bet you hate the thought of kids being out anyway, don't you, Justin? <laughs> no, not at all. You're a bit grumpy when it comes to kids, no, I thought. No, no, I'm not at all. Kids should, should certainly be going to Panto, that's for sure. Um, a lot of people this morning here in Lewisham at the, the, the Chapel Street Nursery, they think it's April the 1st with this story. They don't quite believe it. One lady I spoke to, so outraged that we can't even use that recording because she was so, so angry. <laughs> I'm being Brilliant. serious. But uh, I spoke to Claire a few moments ago. Um, she loves Panto and she's been telling me about her two children. Um, Oliver and Ayla are three and two respectively. And a busy old Christmas coming up for you, I presume? Yes, it is. (laughs) Absolutely. Now, you are a fan of Panto, so if a theatre said to you, sorry, your children, they're too young, they're too noisy, they're not coming in, how would that make you feel? I think I would be inclined to find another Panto. So you wouldn't be happy about it. Would you understand to a certain degree why they're making that ban? Um... Perhaps, I suppose. My um, little boy is three, he's going to the panto this year, my little girl is two and she's not, because I don't think that she'll sit through it very well. 
and I think that probably parents are able to decide whether their children are appropriate to attend or not. So your two-year-old might run riot at that panto? I think she probably would, yes. <laughs> but in saying that, though, isn't that what panto is all about? It's about young children, it's about noise, it's about having fun. Well, yes, in my opinion, I, I guess each theatre's able to make up their own, dis- their, their own minds as to whether that's appropriate or not. Yeah, so if that's in my mind, it is the, the point of panto, but... Mm. So if that theatre said no, you'd say, OK, forget it, I'll go elsewhere then, simple as that. I'll take my business elsewhere, yeah. Interesting point there from Claire. This theatre, how much money do you think they're going to lose? Because lots of families, they want to go to Panto at Christmas time. They've got children or grandchildren under the age of three. If they're being told, sorry, they're too young, they're too noisy, they're not coming in, a bit like Claire there, mm. people would take that business elsewhere. See, uh, my part of me is, it agrees with that, but then part of me thinks that it might work the other way. It might work in their favour. You've got grumps like Jonathan Vernon Smith and, you know, miserable people with no soul. Yeah. Uh, and they might think, oh, good, there's not going to be any toddlers you know screaming out and making noise i i, I might go along to oh, so you might get more business on. if you went to panto and, and there was no children there at all you would lose the atmosphere surely wouldn't you oh no you wouldn't oh yes you would thank you very much indeed justin Dealey. it was half-hearted but we both we both knew it was expected of us as uh, local radio hosts to indulge in that and we did where's where's my career it's behind you that kind of nonsense uh, thank you very much for that there are lots of mixed opinions there I was right. While Sophie was doing the travel there, I was doing that fun thing with my lanyard where I pull it down as hard as I can and see if it hits me in the face. Look. Yeah, it does. Uh, Thank you very much. It's nearly Christmas. The half-term fever is kicking in. Back tomorrow at six for the last show of the week. Stick around, though, because Jonathan Vernon-Smith is on. Ta-ta. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Ian.